Only the appearance of a stranger saved Cesaria from impending destruction. From whence he came, no one knows, but his strength and courage were without peer. Yeah, baby! Good morning to you listeners. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, this is Brian, and I welcome you to episode Unlucky 13 of the Square Waves FM podcast. So, so glad to have you here, as always, listeners new and old. With me, as always, is my co-host. Good morning. Ice to see you. <laughs> Ice to see you. <laughs> Up and at them. Up and at them. That's <laughs> <laughs> there. Good morning. I'm Chris, and I am very, very, very glad to be seeing you listeners. I always say seeing you. I mean hearing or talking to. Basically, you're, you're listening to me, so I'm very glad that you're here to listen to me talk again. Listeners. Oh, I can almost see them, too. I close them in my mind's eye. Yeah. I see, like, these bucktooth salivating uh, young men wearing, wearing thick glasses with pocket protectors. We know you're out there, folks. We love you. Hey, that's a perfect description of me. <laughs> I know, me too. Oh, awesome! Really, really glad to have everyone with us today. We've got uh, we've got all kinds of good stuff. Um, we got a good topic today. We're going to talk about massively multiplayer online games, and uh, before that, we've got some a letter. We've got a voicemail. We've got news. We've got all kinds of good stuff. It's almost as if we have a show here. Ah, um, oh, fantastic! So, one thing I saw on Twitter, which I definitely had, knew I had to include in the show, was a tweet by Jason Scott, who runs the. Uh, the Internet Archive, the Wayback Machine, Archive.org, yeah. all of that good stuff. Awesome guy. Yeah. And, and of course, textfiles.com, which I recommend to anybody, which is such a fun repository of everything <laughs> from, like, Star Wars squabbles to the Anarchist Cookbook, all this cool stuff on there. Yeah, kind of an amazing BBS, uh, BBS information, too. That's right. So, uh, right down the alley of BBS stuff, he mentioned, I love this tweet, he says that not only can you still buy today 56K modems from U.S. Robotics, but you can also buy them in 20 packs. And he includes (laughs) a link to uh, Newegg.com where you can buy 20 U.S. Robotics 56K modems in case you need 20. Like, are they new old stock or have they been, like, newly manufactured? Do you have any idea? I'm pretty sure. Well, I don't know if they're, I don't know. I just don't know. You can buy them That's from totally Newegg, insane. and Newegg is a store that okay. sells like contemporary, brand new hardware. So who knows? So that is really quite <laughs> I, something. They must be popular somewhere. I think that's amazing. If I amazing. ever get like old, rich, and insane, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do. Do you know the comedian Brent Butt? Yeah, he's from Corner Gas. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a, for any of our listeners who aren't Canadian, there's this TV show called Corner Gas, and it's, it stars this comedian in a small town in kind of hillbilly Alberta. Or no, no, it's in Saskatchewan. And uh, uh, I, I once heard this, this radio uh, radio uh, comedy thing with him, and he said, uh, he said, uh, he said, well, what would I do with a million dollars? And uh, he goes, I don't know. He's like, I get a little squirrely if I get 20 bucks in my wallet that I don't know what to do with. And, uh, and he goes, if I had a million dollars, he's like, I'd buy Red Deer, Alberta. And then I'd... <laughs> <laughs> then I'd that I would repave the entire town with Nerf and ride around naked on a horse swinging a cat over my head. 
And uh, I think my my insanity dream would probably be to like set up a dial-up ISP. Oh, beautiful! <laughs> a 500-line dial-up 56k ISP, and uh, just let people dial in to use the internet at even slower speeds than they can get at home. That's a beautiful <laughs> dream. <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> I think Jason Scott just made my uh, my dreams come true. That's amazing. Well, I'll you, certainly you, put a link. Do you to remember this. how much they were? Oh, let me go check right now. I don't remember. I look at everything but that. <laughs> I'm I'm kind of like excited by this. 56k was a pretty like I remember once they got 56k, there just wasn't any more budget room for um for bandwidth over over uh, well not bandwidth but I should say um um modem bandwidth over uh, copper lines. Yeah, that's right. The sound quality was insufficient or something like that. Yeah, and it's amazing that they pulled it off. I think it's like eight kilohertz mono. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, like it's I definitely told... mono. I think it is eight kilohertz. So they they kind of ah. brushed up against the the edge of the technology. I think they did some kind of compression or something too. Is that what that V ninety two biz was? Was a that's compression? right? Exactly. Yeah, V ninety two biz, and there were actually several like V there there was V forty two, V fifty two. So this, right. like there's this massive list. If any of our listeners want to check out Wikipedia and you want to learn the hardcore kind of information about how modems work, just check the the V dash V dot. Four two or V dot nine two or etc. V dot five six standards, and all of them will go into like excruciating detail about exactly how they compress the signal to uh, squeeze just a little bit more. Um, and and actually, that's an interesting point. One of the cool things I think I covered this in episode one is that um, one of those compression schemes. Oh yeah, by the way, just yell when you find the page. Um, oh, I'm there. Shut up. Oh, what, how much is it? It's so he just had a link to the twenty pack, which yep. at currently is currently on sale for twenty five percent off. It's one thousand four hundred and forty dollars. <laughs> so that's um, that's seventy dollars. That's ridiculous per modem, like, which is a lot, I guess, for today. But it's cheaper than it's the cheapest I've ever seen one. Of that's those, true. That's true. Yeah, for, I guess for a brand new modem, that's not bad. But at the same time, I think I'm pretty sure you can go on eBay and for like. One dollar by yourself a fifty-six k. Probably. So and uh, I, I have the feeling those things never burn out. I I I still have my um, fifty-six k, or actually might be a thirty-three-six that I actually flashed up to fifty-six k. I don't know if you remember that you could do that back in the old days. Flash up oh. to fifty-six k? No. Oh yeah, this was a great hack. Um, well, you like update the, the firmware or something? Uh, actually, it was even simpler than that. Um, hmm. Uh, U.S. Robotics, in all of their infinite wisdom, um, decided that they would have these. I think this was only on the certain. It was on the Courier, I think, but it might have been on the Sportster. I can't remember. Um, it was one of the two classes of modems. They had this thing where they decided that if you wanted to pay for an upgrade to a 56k, they would actually just tell you this uh, modem command string that would uh, re reset a flag on it. To, so it was basically you were just shipped a crippled uh, 56k. It was oh. down clock to 33.6. Yeah. Hmm. So they would actually send you this modem string. But, of course, what somebody figured out was just, well, I'm just going to give this modem string to everyone. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there was this amazing thing where it's just like, I think I was in first year university and I had an old 33.6 and I couldn't afford a 56K or or K56 Flex, if anybody remembers that standard. <laughs> um, um, and, uh, yeah, I got the modem string, ran it, and it just goes ATOK. And then all of a sudden you're running at 56k. It was totally insane. Oh man! Yeah, I know there were yeah. there were rumors of like Intel CPUs 
being similar, where you could just they they were like yeah. uh, synthetically well, uh, underclocked. It, that's right. Wasn't it by actually like covering one pin or um or not covering, but it was it was like one pin was missing or one pin one pin could be covered on a I think it was a slot a slot A or socket seven. I, I can't remember. I don't know if that was true or not though. I don't know. Yeah, I think A was AMD. It was slot one. Oh I yeah, think, right. Was Intel. Slot one was Intel. You're right. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. And and uh, I remember slot one was pretty insane because that was during the cel- celery era. Uh, do you remember the Celerons? Uh, <laughs> the celery era. Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. Unfortunately, I never owned one. I, I as soon as I found out what they were and how crippled they were, I think it was with the L2 cache or something. I said, "No way, am I?" That's right. Spending money yeah, on that. They had a <clears throat> very crippled L2 cache, and um, but but they were capable of insane speeds. Um, I remember that was when it was in the age of overclocking. You could buy a celery. Like two or three hundred and overclocked six hundred, kind of just just with one uh, one um, uh, a jumper setting on your slot one card. But interesting. Uh, yeah, I never. I I think I might have had one Celeron, and then after that, I realized no, this isn't worth it. Even even with the clock speed difference, the L two cache makes way 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 too much of a difference for it. Mm-hmm. I miss those slot yeah. CPU. Uh... Me too. Things they, it was like inserting a, a video cassette into your motherboard, sort of. <laughs> it was really cool how they integrated the heat sink and the fan with the yeah. CPU. And it was it was, it was it was always surprising because um, they they were so heavy. Like once you once you had yeah. all of that stuff on that that slot one card was super super heavy. Um, I I was actually never an AMD guy. Did you ever have any AMD? Yeah, I've had a few. Or- Usually oh, when cool. I was uh, scrimping, when I was a, a poor student, I had yeah. AMD stuff. My wife still swears by them, but uh, I've gone to Intel oh, and really? I can afford it. Oh, interesting. I had one AMD, and I actually remember it was both a great joy and a cause of a lot of problems. Um, hmm. Which it, one it was, was it, AMD. I think I had a K6300. If oh, that so that's the early right. days. Yeah, it was the early AMDs, and... Um, Mine was capable of a little bit of overclocking. I think I pushed it up to 366 or maybe 400. That was the equivalent um, of a Pentium 2, I think? Yeah, exactly. It was kind of like a slow... I, I don't know. They said it was equivalent, but I, I, I always got the feeling my my um, AMD was a bit slower. And my killer was I had an... Uh, oh, shit. Um, okay, there were a few good boards. A-Bit made a great board for overclocking. Mm-hmm. Um Asus made a great board for overclocking, and then there's another A. It was I just remember it was I think it was an Acer. Uh, oh, yeah. Did Acer make motherboards? Yeah, pretty sure. I had an AX59 Pro, and I can tell any of our use, uh, listeners right now that a, uh, a, AX59 Pro is the worst motherfucking board I've ever had in my life. <laughs> it was a constant source of issues. It it didn't play friendly with my um, AMD, even though it was built for an AMD. Socket A, I think it was called, um, or Socket B. I think it was Socket A. I think it's um, Socket A, yeah. Y- yeah, it was just a nonstop nightmare to get the the uh, settings properly. It was one of the first boards to use non-jump. It was a non-jumpered board, so you could set everything in, in BIOS. Right. Um, unfortunately, with my board, what happened was they they introduced a bunch of power management functions into the BIOS that actually ran off of IRQs. Oh. And Weird. Yeah, which is pretty pretty nuts, and it took me a few couple of years to figure it out because um, do you remember in oh god this is like so back then Windows ninety five OSR two um, you had to actually get separate drivers to enable DMA to your hard drive or DMA to your CD ROM. I don't remember that actually, but I'll take your word for it. Uh, 
it was it was a nightmare because um, if you didn't have DMA enabled, uh, when you were burning CDs, it would use your 100% of your CPU to burn the disk. Ah. If you had any program running in the background, it would basically create a coaster. Like even even a 5% drop in CPU usage would mean coaster. Wow. Uh, it was like, so I had like this unholy trinity of like evil. It was an Acer or somebody please, please let me know if the AX59 Pro or the AX63 what company made it? I thought it was Acer, but it started with an A. And then the second problem was my K6300. The third problem was my Mitsumi double-speed burner. What a piece of shit. Mm. Um, and all three of those, basically, there was like a one in five chance that I would get a good disc out of five burns. Oh, and, um, horrible. Yeah, it was for, for, for piratey old me in those days, it was, it was a nonstop source of like, like anxiety. I don't know if anybody remembers the anxiety of putting in your three to four dollar, uh, CDR and just waiting for that thing to kind of your computer to freeze up or, or God knows what would happen or, you know, some program would launch in the background and, uh, and interrupt your CPU during, uh, a buffering and you'd have a coaster and you just, just, your bone marrow would freeze. Oh man, you saying you mentioning buffering in this context just reminds me of like just sitting there with a state of cat like readiness watching the buffer and it was like yeah. the disc would be burning and so if you had like a double speed C D ROM, I think it would be a double speed burner, it would be like burning three hundred kilobytes at a time and it would That's also right. have like this three hundred kilobyte buffer. And if exactly. there was any little hiccup or something, then it would start dipping into the buffer and if the buffer got all the way down to zero, then it, your disc would be coastered. So you just sit there staring at it for like I forget twenty minutes or something, it, just wishing it wouldn't exactly. go down. But there was no there was no reason to stare at it. I mean, if it was just going to fail, it was just going to fail. But it's like oh, there's always this hope by by looking at it. I'll be like maybe my like my my anxiety and agitation will somehow like improve the buffer speed. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, the watched pot method. Oh, you know, it actually reminds me of, and this is very um, timely for our podcast today and our main topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I actually realized was uh, Merck, if you remember the IRC client. Oh, yes. Um, with uh, Khaled Marembe, I think his name was. Yeah, uh, that's right. He, his, his face would haunt you if he had the shareware <laughs> version every time you opened it. That was a yeah, brilliant, loved, every, brilliant client. Every year his, his face would age and you get a new Khalid or... <laughs> oh, how far would I come? Actually... <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Um, he was great. Yeah. I love that client. It was incredibly good. I, I love. I loved it too. I, I there was a lot of shit talked about it on on the line, but I think it was an amazing really? client. Oh, it was like a rock. Uh, it was just so reliable. Oh, I loved it. It was great, and um, I I found out that Merck could not coexist peacefully with my um, with uh, the CD-ROM buffering. Really? I think for whatever. Yeah, it was. It would just eat up just enough CPU time to, you know, to interrupt uh, uh, interrupt a good uh, burning session. So That's I had That's actually, like the most lightweight protocol and application, oh, yeah. like, imaginable, but terrible luck. Oh, like I said, I, uh, this motherboard combination was terrible. Like, a 1% uh. or 2% drop would be enough to interrupt the CD burning session. Ouch. So um, what I would do is actually run uh, a Telnet client to a BitJack session over... Uh. <laughs> Over on my university account at the time, so I could IRC via, um, you know, um, uh, 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 BitJex or Telnet. That's funny. And, uh, yeah, so it was all it could manage was Windows 95 Telnet session. It was absolutely horrible. I think it was Putty at the time, maybe. Oh yeah, Putty was a good but, one too. Uh, oh yeah. So yes. So uh, sorry, I got us off topic. We have um, many, many oh user feedback or 
stuff to talk about this week. We do, but uh, since we went uh, on this uh, tangent, I just want to mention yeah. some bit of excitement that I'm having this week too. So, um, oh, cool, yeah, for sure. It was it was uh, over the uh, winter break that I bought a new computer and built it from scratch, and it's yeah. been very reliable and doing great. The performance is unbelievably good. I'm so happy with the parts that I purchased and the performance it's giving me, like heads and shoulders, way awesome. way better than the five year old machine that I had before. Um, you want to uh, you want to tell everybody what you got? Okay, I'm sure. sure. We got a lot of hardware nerds on our. Uh, I think uh, uh, that listen to this too. All right, why not? So the machine I was replacing was an i7 930, which I think was 2.4 gigahertz quad core. Um, but yep. because it's an i7, it had the multi-threading, so it can emulate yes. eight cores. Um, it had six gigs of DDR3 memory. I think 1600 okay. megahertz. Yep. And uh, GeForce uh, 470 GTX, which was like oh, one that's a very the... respectable machine. It was a very respectable machine. It's unbelievable how well it lasted me all those years. Like it yeah, didn't I was really show. It didn't show signs of aging until at least like three and a half years in, which was awesome. That's so fantastic. To... I'm always yeah, an advocate that's... of buying buying high end stuff to begin with because it'll be that much longer until you have to replace it. it, it I think it saves you money in the long run. Yep. Complete agreement here. Yeah. So, um, at long last, games were starting to slow down for me a little bit, and uh, there were a few games, like Diablo 3, for example, had this one infamous uh, zone called Rackus Crossing, where okay. um, anything but uh, G- but CPUs and GPUs made in the last couple of years would slow down to, like, three frames per second in these little areas. <laughs> You're kidding. It would spike from, like, 60 frames per second solid to suddenly, like, three frames per second until you killed a big group of enemies, and then it would go back up to 60, and, like, there are the same enemies that you would kill in other areas, but just some combination of the shaders or something in that zone, plus a big swarm of enemies would slow you right down. I don't... And it took Blizzard, like, more than a year to fix it. I assume they fixed it. I... That's crazy. Holy cow. It was crazy. So there were a few games where I was kind of slow, and um, I had always kind of hoped to see Microsoft Flight Simulator X run that much more smoothly, because that game is a CPU hog, but of course it's like a whole physics simulation, so it uh, makes good use of your machine. So I replaced it this winter with an i7-4790K, which is a 4 gigahertz i7, also quad-core. Um, and four the K, gigahertz, really? Yeah, four gigahertz, and the K on the CPU means that it's un- unlockable uh, clock rates. I never really, oh, uh, I don't really overclock. Um, oh, it's so, all con- so it's made for overclocking? Exactly. Yeah, it's all configurable in your BIOS. You can change the clock speeds, and if uh, if it becomes unstable, then you can adjust the voltages to increase voltage slightly, which also pushes up the heat a little bit, which can, which can also make it unstable. So I know how to overclock. I just don't really yes. care to, because I don't think that the benefits are really that great. I, I, yeah, and especially unless you overclocking always means bigger heat sinks, more noise, more fans, you know. Pretty my, much. My issue, my issue is always noise. I, I really don't like having loud, noisy computers that sound like World War Three when they start up. So. Oh, me too. And I'm really amazed at how quiet this thing is. Like the case that I have is a Cooler Master. It's called a half case, H A F, which is high airflow, okay. and it's this ah. big black monstrosity. It's it's like a mid tower sized case. It has like I mm-hmm. don't know five fans all over it, and the fan on top is I've never seen a fan this big. It's a 280 millimeter fan which oh goes God. it goes really slowly but it pushes a ton of air and it's like completely silent because of how big it is so that's kind of nice and it even has like a 
a HEPA filter on the front to keep uh, wow. dust from getting in, although it doesn't do a good job nice. of that at all. I have to dust it all the time. Um, <laughs> so I just used my old case from before, for better or for worse, which I'll get into when I talk about my story here. So the i7 chip, I have a... I had to use special order because they were so popular. The GPU, which is a GeForce 970 GTX. Um, oh, wow. This is an amazing, amazing video card. Unbelievably powerful. And they just had some kind of a... It has four gigs of VRAM. And there was just some kind of a hubbub about how it's actually like three and a half gigs of fast RAM and then half a gig of slow RAM. So if you use anything that uses oh. more than three and a half gigs, then it goes really slow. But uh, Oh, that's interesting. So they... Uh, that's... Wow, I didn't realize they could do that. Yeah, I know. Me neither. Apparently they've done it in the past too, but now all of a sudden that we're kind of at the advent of... 4K resolution monitors. Right, That's where you start right. using tons of video RAM. But I just have uh, a 1080p monitor, so even with super okay. anti-aliasing and everything, I never run into that, uh, wow. that high edge. So that's okay. Um, amazing video card. That was the first part that I upgraded. I, I bought the new video card. I, I sometimes buy uh, in installments. So I bought the new video card and put it to okay. the old machine. And clearly my, my CPU was bottlenecking the video card, so I saved up some more... That's when my wife and I both got our new machines. So then I got 16 gigs of RAM, and otherwise I salvaged all the rest of my parts. I have a solid-state drive. I have a Sound Blaster uh, PCI Express card. And I guess that's it, and the rest is all onboard stuff. So you salvaged the existing SSD. What did you have before? Um... Well, I, I've had By the SSDs. Way, if you can hear this noise, that's a robin in the background. I do hear it. That's lovely. It's gorgeous, isn't it? Oh, very nice. I was talking to my dad this morning, giving him some uh, tips about Microsoft Word, and uh, Maxi, my little baby budgie, flew onto the phone and started pecking it and singing right into the earpiece. <laughs> so I'm sure that was a shock for him. Really That's sweet. He's such a nosy kid. Um, so I salvaged from the old machine. My I have a solid-state drive, I have which is 256 gigs. I have a, a mechanical hard drive, which is... Oh, I bought a new one. I think it's four terabytes or something ridiculous like that. Wow. Which I don't need. I think it's like half full, but I could, so I did. It was only like $20 more than something half the size, so I figured what the heck. Right, right. Oh, that's a pretty bird. It's gorgeous, um, yeah. And what else? So I had my case. I don't know. I, and uh, I have an optical drive, which I use like once every three months now, if ever. I try to avoid it. Oh, yeah. It's funny, um, optical drives, I was just talking about that with my girlfriend a couple of days ago, and we're in an era now where it's actually becoming hard to find an optical drive um, in, yeah. in the sense that they're not on every store shelf, you know, everywhere now. In fact, um, you know, you, for the most part, you just can't walk into Walmart and grab a CD-ROM off the shelf mm-hmm. because people just don't buy them. Um, yeah, that's right. So, Laptops don't really come with them anymore, and I think that's what really yeah. pushed it. Exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. Apple kind of set that set that uh, standard a few years ago, and I was I was very upset about it to be honest. Because well, I'm a an old gamer, and I like my old CDs, and I I always prefer to install. I, maybe that makes me sound really antiquated, but I actually hate Gog's installer. Um, oh really? I thought it was fine. It, I I mean I, I I just don't like that it has an installer. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, you mean you'd rather install the games manually yourself? Yeah. Well, yeah, I ISO more, or would, more, would would more yeah prefer an ISO or even just have like a zip that just has everything and I drop it into my Dropbox folder and it's done with. Um, oh, that's true. I know Anatoly is uh, he always romanticizes about old game installers and often posts screenshots of them too. So <laughs> I know where you're coming yeah. from. I miss choosing. Yeah, sound you card kind of miss out on some of the badass installers like Syndicate Wars had an amazing, amazing installer. Oh yeah. Um, 
and Command and Conquer and all that. But anyway, I'm getting us off track. So you managed to... Uh, do you remember what kind of SSD you have? I'm just curious oh, about the SSD itself. I think it's A-Data, which is a company I hadn't heard of before, but I've okay. seen them a bunch since, and they sell solid-state drives and... Uh, USB sticks, and they're like two-thirds the price of anybody else's. Oh. And I, I've asked two different stores now, and they said that they're every bit as reliable, every bit as good. They just oh, uh, have a lower profit margin to be uh, to be uh, competitive. Before that, yeah, I had well, an OCZ solid-state drive, and yep. it died on me after a couple of years. Um, oh, that's interesting. My The only OCZ product I ever bought died, too, was an OCZ uh, power, uh, power supply, and it lasted about mm. one season. So, oh, that's uh, terrible. Yeah, I, I read later on that the particular solid-state drive I had bought had some stability like, issues. Uh, but, uh, that's too bad. I, I, I found uh, What I found was that a few years ago they started standardizing the uh, chipsets on these these SSDs. So, you yes. know, you get a, I think it's Sandy Force or Sandforce, um, mm-hmm. you know, chip-based chipset. And basically, no matter who you bought, you're probably just getting exactly the same thing. I think there's still one or two or three chipsets out there. Um Okay. I think now that some manufacturers are making them, I think like Samsung is making solid state drives and so they already oh. have in their they already have like patents and blueprints for memory controllers and stuff like that. So I oh, read an I... article recently and I don't remember who the players were and which was best at what, but they said that some brands were better at write speeds and some brands were better at seek speeds and some were better at read speeds and oh. some were more reliable. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. I love reading I don't know, it's it's a very nerdy oh. pastime, but I love reading stuff I... like that. Have you heard of, um, on, on the same topic, um, uh, because I, unfortunately I've been an Apple guy, and I, I by the way, to, to anybody who's listening, I'm, I'm very resistantly an Apple user. Um, I don't oh, like really? Apple products. Um, really? And I, yeah, no, I don't like them at all. Um, and I think the, the, especially iOS is one of the most restrictive, abusive operating systems ever made, and I, I don't even think of it as an OS, actually. Hmm. Um, I think it's terrible. But, 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 but. There's a couple of things they do right, and they know how to make very, very good laptops. Um, oh, and yeah, their form factors are gorgeous. Their hardware is they, nice. they are. And the one, the, my last laptop, it's a MacBook Pro, and the one thing it has in it I've never seen anybody use, I'm sure that they're in um, some, some other laptops now, but instead of using an SSD, what it uses is this little uh, RAM-sized stick of, uh, of, of memory. And it's it's just about the size of a, a DDR3 stick of RAM, and it's a 256 gig uh, hard drive, basically. Mm-hmm. But um, <laughs> the uh, it's uh, it's it's or not seek speed. It's um, read write speeds are 775 megs a second. Oh uh, yeah. It's probably it's totally, connected by uh, PCI Express instead of by... It, exactly, it's a PCI Express memory memory bus. I didn't and, know the laptops did that. You can get that first PC at a, an exorbitant price. I didn't realize that oh, they did that on laptops. Oh, God. It is like the greatest, like... Because I was doing a lot of video editing and a lot of um, re- screencasting and recording and all of that stuff, mm. it was unbelievable. I mean, just like file copying at that rate was shocking. And then even better if you've got a Thunderbolt port and you can copy from machine to machine. It was just, it was just like, it was, it was like the days in which you had switched, I don't know if anybody remembers this, switching from, um, oh shit, uh, well, do you remember the name of that software that you could copy files over the parallel port, SmartLink or SpeedLink or, oh, I think it was shit, SpeedLink. Uh, I don't know, something SpeedLink. like that. I know what you mean. Something like, yeah, it was that like the days switching from, 
yeah, um, switching from that to an Ethernet port and copying <laughs> files. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a so, yeah, world of difference, sure. Yeah, so I, I just, anyway, I thought I'd bring it up because if anybody's ever building a machine and you can, and if you've got money to burn, um, uh, for, I don't know quite how Apple managed to do it. Um, the, you know, they overpriced their machines anyway, but they did put in a very, very solid hard drive in that machine um, you know, on the PCI Express bus. Well, that's As, good. And uh, I would recommend anyone buying a laptop, make sure you're getting one with a solid-state drive because it'll, if nothing else, oh God, it yes. uses way less battery than moving parts. Exactly. Of the exactly. I, was, drive. I was pulling, the last time I used it, I was pulling 14 hours per charge off of that machine. I mean, that's Holy insane. Shit. That's yeah, really that's why nice. that's why I buy Apple uh, laptops because the, there just is nobody that provides that kind of battery life off of a machine. And this was a this was a, a quad core uh, a quad core i five, so you know hmm. <laughs> it's hard to beat that. I'm sure there are benefits of the same company making the hardware and the operating system. There's a really good cohesion between the parts, I guess. I guess so. I don't know. It makes me feel icky. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I had, I had looked I, into uh, into um, PCI Express solid state drive. They plug into yep. the one X, uh, the one X plug, which is like a really tiny, short little PCI oh. Express plug. I've only got one of them in my motherboard, oh, and I, I think you, you can right, actually, right. I think you can actually plug that into any sized PCI Express slot on your motherboard. But I've never been sure, okay. so I, I've avoided it. But anyway, those those were like three times the price. Apparently, we're right on the cusp of PCI Express solid state drives becoming much more affordable there was some breakthrough oh, in the either in the manufacturing or the uh chipsets or something that make it way cheaper right. so oh, i think they're going to be about half the price which is still a lot more expensive than the sata <laughs> ones but oh yeah three I, times the when, speed. when i looked i wanted to upgrade my girlfriend's uh laptop to pci uh, uh pci express ssd and uh or sorry she's got one in there i wanted to upgrade it to a slightly larger one and uh and uh I think she's got a MacBook Air or something like that, and and the MacBook Air is not my favorite machine, but it seems to work for her. It's a great and, form um, factor, though. It's so portable. It is, yeah. It's 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 very very portable, and um, I you know she she went online and she went and looked up prices, and yeah, to to swap out her 128 um, PCI Express up to a I think it was a 256 was something in the realm of 675 bucks. Oh, because you got to do it through <laughs> Apple, and because it's so hard to take apart, yeah. I'm sure. Exactly. Go through, through Apple. They're actually fairly easy to take apart. Um, it, really? Those are tiny little torque screws. Um, but the, uh, yeah, I just thought it was outrageous. I mean, I think she paid $900 for the laptop, so uh. spending three-quarters of its value on a PCI Express uh, drive is ridiculous. So anyway, anyway sure. I've, I've derailed this once again. So, <laughs> oh, you're, you're, so I bring all this machine. up anyway. Yes, I bring this up because... Uh, once or twice now, so I, I oh, right mainly now because I have just purchased and preloaded Grand Theft Auto V, which comes out on Tuesday, oh. um, and really looking forward to that. I played every Grand Theft Auto game for PC anyway, which is about ninety percent of them, and I enjoy them every time. I really do like them. So I've been playing yeah. a little bit of the previous GTA Four game, which is another game that I had always hoped, like I thought I would never in my lifetime see that thing working at full frame rates and at full everything <laughs> cranked. <laughs> And lo and behold, not only does my PC run that game with everything cranked, but if I turn off the uh, vertical sync 
at think, 60 yeah. frames per second. Then thanks to oh yeah, another one of my purchases was an Asus. I don't remember the the uh, product name of it, but it's a 144 hertz LCD monitor. Oh, so, I didn't even know they manufactured those. There's a few companies that make them now, and my wow. goodness, it's I had to at the time make the decision. You can either get a high frame rate monitor or a monitor that uh, can render colors more uh, oh, more I vibrantly. So I decided, what the heck? I do some design work, but I do some, uh, I do a lot more gaming. So I decided, okay, I'm going to prioritize the gaming. I got the 144 hertz monitor. It is so right. glorious. It was. <laughs> I. You don't know how restrictive 60 frames per second is until you see 144. And when you see that difference, you realize immediately how restrictive 144 hertz is, which is kind of <laughs> depressing. But now I can play that game about 80% of the time at the full 144 hertz frame That's rate, which totally is so beautiful. It's really, really smooth and beautiful. Even Windows, which is 3D accelerated, like... The the this is a metaphor that I'll steal from the review that I read because I read tons of reviews about monitors when we yep. were in the market because ours were starting to get dark. Um, they said that seeing Windows rendered in 144 hertz versus 60 frames, like at 60 frames it looks yep. like you're dragging an electronic window across your desktop, but at 144 yep. hertz it looks like you're taking a piece of paper and sliding it across your screen. Oh, it's really really slick. It is a little bit kind of otherworldly when you until you yeah, get used I to it. I, I was actually wondering if you can tell me if this is accurate or not. Hmm. Do you do you do you know of I think they call it the soap soap opera effect on TV? Uh, no. Is, oh, TV? is that when they is that when they reduce the frame rate for a cinematic value? Uh no, it's the opposite. It's when you when they uh, when your TV upscales the frame rate to run at 120 hertz. Uh. Uh, because that's a that's a modern thing, right? Everyone wants to, their TV to be running at 120 hertz. And if you put a regular TV show at a, on at 120 hertz. It looks creepy. I huh. every one of my, my every one of my friends that I've came across who buys a new LCD TV says, "Oh, this thing's 120 hertz," but all my TV shows look really messed up. And and so I I always go into the settings and I said, "Yeah, you have to disable the upscaling because regular uh, 30 29.97 uh, frame per second TV shows look fucking bizarre at 120 hertz." And it's it's a qualitative difference. You can't say what's wrong, but you know something's wrong with their movement. And yeah. I was wondering, do, do you have that in GTA? Does the human movement look okay? Does it look normal? Well, with video games, it's not quite as jarring because we're sort of used to seeing uh, frame rates kind of change oh, variably depending on how much is going on. You that's definitely true. notice it when it's faster than ever. Like in World of Warcraft, for example, there are some mounts that you get that fly and they have flapping wings. And so when right. you look at the very extremities, like the 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 furthest out uh, yep. points of the wings, that's where you really notice when the frame rate is a lot faster because like the ah. it's sort of like the strobe effect when you have a strobe light and you wave your hand in front of it. Right. Um, it's uh, you can see like more frequent, like smaller, um, uh, smaller uh, distances between each frame. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. so that helps a lot. So anyway, oh, I bring cool. all this stuff up because when you're running at 144 hertz, that means that you're rendering like 250 percent more frames or something like that, which is a lot That's more fair. work for your CPU and your GPU, of course. So, um, particularly with CPU intensive games, my computer has started to like uh, reboot. And it goes oh, to the BIOS, and it said uh, CPU temperature warning. So we can't have that. Oh, that's funny. I was really surprised by this, because Intel makes really good heat sinks and fans that come bundled with their CPUs. Like, they're really sure. snug and well-manufactured, yeah. and they're a nice big fan, and they're very, very quiet. That was a big benefit of my uh, oh. 
my GPU, by the way, I researched, and there were a lot of different manufacturers. I bought the MSI, uh, the MSI version of my 970 GTX because theirs gotcha. in particular had like an extra copper heat pipe, and it had a bigger fan than anybody else's, and it only uh, turns on if the GPU gets to gets to oh, nice. uh, 60 degrees Celsius, which a lot That's of the time fantastic. it doesn't even get that high, so it's very, does very it, quiet does, machine. Does it have a low, low power mode out of curiosity? Like, is it, does it, will it run um, um, only some of the pipelines when you're doing non-intensive tasks, like uh, operating system stuff? I'm not that was sure. A, yeah, Laptops that was do that unique... more than desktops, I know. Yeah, I, I remember that they would for instance, on the fly switch between your onboard GPU and your offboard GPU. Um, it wouldn't. Sur- it would- oh, right. Yeah. So I do my my um, i7 has a, a GPU built into it, which is like mind-bogglingly yeah. cool. But I'll never use it, and I wish I could have bought it without it to save the hundred bucks on it or whatever. Of but <laughs> what the heck? So I I know laptops do that a lot, which causes a lot of problems with games. Like the installer, sure for does. example, will detect a different GPU than the one it'll use for gaming. So that's, right. that's yeah. If uh, I Desktop computers are by no means as energy efficient as laptops, and the parts that I chose were particularly uh, power hungry. So, I guess yeah, you probably have like a thousand watt uh, power supply. I have seven hundred and fifty watts, which apparently is even oh. overkill. I, 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 oh really? I did the wow, math myself, I... and I and I figured, oh shoot, I guess I I need a new. Uh, a new uh, power supply, but then I did some more research, and people said that even with everything at load, they like overestimate the requirements and stuff. And unless you That's have amazing. more than two video cards, there's no way you need more than a 750 watt power supply. You could probably oh. get away with 600. Yeah, oh, that was. Great. I'm glad I, I did all this that. reading. I always do all this research and stuff before I spend a ton of money. The my computer is probably <laughs> the most expensive thing I own, <laughs> except for my car. Anyway, so I. Um, I'm certain that I need a new C- a new CPU cooler, so I uh, went out okay. and bought a liquid cooler just oh, yesterday. Oh, I was just going to ask. I love liquid I cooling. I haven't installed it yet, and I had all these preconceptions about it. I know that they used to have this re- big external reservoir that you had to fill with your own water every now and then. And <laughs> That's right. It sounded like a huge ordeal, but it, I, I checked it out now. and a li- They're sealed li- units now, right? Yeah, it's a sealed unit, and it's like... I don't know. It's like this teeny tiny little kind of hat that you put on your CPU with a yeah. hose that goes out to a fan that you attach to the side of the of the case, which seems okay. pretty easy. I think I'll also need um, to remove my motherboard and install this kind of bracket underneath and then another uh, corresponding piece over top just to seal it really tight onto the it. CPU. So yeah. I can do that. I don't mind rebuilding my computer. That's fun for me. So Yeah, that's great. Oh, I love it. When, I mean, but, I'm jealous, uh, man. That sounds great. It's a fun project, but one uh, problem that I have is that I did a really half-assed job of installing stuff when I bought my case six years ago or so. Oh, crow is cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so ravens standing above my head. Oh, ravens! That's awesome. <laughs> Memories of the uh, Diablo one uh, <laughs> intro cinematic. Now, watch your eyes. Picking my eyeball out. <laughs> so I, because of my half-assedness, the back fan. The fan on the back of my case, one of the screws was like crooked and got stuck yep. in there real good, so I can't remove oh, that no. fan. Kind of so got cross threaded. Yeah, so exactly. So um, there were two liquid coolers I could buy of the same brand. One of them had a 120 millimeter fan that you install to the back of your case. Right. And the other had a 222, sorry, two 120 millimeter fans, like one. Yep beside the other and you can install that to the top of your uh case so i would have right. to i'm gonna have to trade in for that more expensive two 120 millimeter fan one and remove the 280 millimeter fan uh, from the top of my case I see. so that's okay because that one came installed in the 
in the case. Oh, it already, came in the case. So, okay. Yeah, so they installed that properly. I'm sure I'll screw up this one too when I put it in. <laughs> I try to be meticulous, but I, I'm clumsy. Okay. Awesome. Anyway, that was a huge tangent. Not that I regret it for a single moment, but um, okay. One last thing that I have to mention. Sorry, there are two things I want to mention before we get into our email and our voicemail. Um, one of them uh, comes from my high school friend, Bram. Hello, Bram, who um, we had put a call out to last time asking if he could verify uh, some of the info that we mentioned about Ultima 9 and the whole debacle yes. with them releasing a beta version. So Yeah, yeah. He says that um, he's unable to check the version of the of the game because he has the the box in storage. But one other thing that he got, uh, which is related to our topic today as like reparations for them having to send him a whole new disc with a real version of the fixed game on it was that they also gave him three free months of Ultima online. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Oh, so was that your gateway drug to the game? Perhaps as it was. Um, Yeah. I I forgot that was, I, I, I was already well into Ultima online by the time it came out, but, um, I, I forgot that they shipped it, and that's actually thanks to um, a really kind person at Origin. Um, this, here's a little story that some of our listeners might not know, but your friend might. Um, there was a... It was actually... Origin was one of the first companies ever. Actually, I think it was the first company ever. I'm going to get away from these ravens. There's literally, like, six of them standing on the tree staring at me. Oh, spooky. <laughs> it's very spooky. Um, this is, like, very foreboding. So, um... The uh, plus or noisy. Um, back in the old days, uh, I can't wait to talk about this today. Actually, because uh, this has very much to do with the main topic. Um, there was no such thing as a community. Uh, what would you call it? Like a community support person or community uh, uh, what manager? Call it? Somebody, yeah, community manager. That that position didn't exist. And I am 75 to 90% sure it was actually Origin that created the first community manager position ever. Oh, um, Yeah, because that came around when, um, in, in the Ultimate Nine days, when they were trying to basically uh, deal with the whole meltdown of Ultimate Nine, and Ultimate Online was getting nasty because the game, some of the game, um, the GMs, the game, what would you call them, game managers? Game, uh, yeah, game manager, game master. Something like game that. masters, yeah, game masters were getting in trouble because they were favoring certain players, so they needed some some sort of PR person to manage all of this stuff. And mm. they got um, she was actually um, the wife of uh, uh, shit. Do you remember the company that created this game called uh, Abuse? I think it was called the company's called Crack. Crack dot uh, com. Crack dot com. Yeah, exactly. Love that game. Um, yeah, um, she was the wife of the Crack owner, and her name is Carly. <laughs> Oh, cool! Um, and Carly was just amazing. She was, she was, she came from Crack. I think Crack might have been in the same town as Origin or something, because it seems like a lot of the Crack people were friends with the Origin people. I'll, I'll talk about this during the main part of our episode. But yeah, Carly Stalen Taylor, um, I believe. I can't believe that I remember that name. Fifteen years later, she was just absolutely amazing. I was running an Ultimate Nine fan site at the time, and Carly would send out press emails to you know us us fans who are running websites and with new previews of the Ultima 9 stuff. And um, Carly was the one that came up with the idea, I believe, of adding the three months free with UO to kind of cross-promote uh, Ultima Online. So, uh, and she was also the one that I think um, that had 
she she would post these like regular posts on um, she'd contact Old Man Marie and all of these sites of kind of like profusely apologizing for the the bad shape Ultimate Nine was in. Um, so yeah, I hope Carly Salen Taylor is still out there somewhere. Um, she she was just like an absolutely amazing person, and uh, I think she she did did a lot to not only kind of <laughs> recover some of Origin's reputation in those days, but also just be a hell of a good, nice, friendly person to to Ultima fans who are just like viciously, voraciously, you know, uh, nasty towards uh, Origin in those days. Wow. Well, that's a very forward-thinking philosophy of hers that she did before almost anybody else then, because it's pretty commonplace yeah. nowadays for um, people to give beta keys to, like, a, a Twitch personality or a YouTube star or someone right. who has a lot of exposure or also to the enthusiasts who will speak positively about it. So to do that, like, 20 years ago, that's really, uh, that's that's pretty uh, forward-thinking. Yeah, it was. And, and just, yeah, her her personality came out in every single post, every single, uh, she she'd up the Origins website, and I think she actually ran a little message board for Origin at some point. And That's great. Uh, yeah, I just it just really stand out person. So yeah, um, you can your friend can thank uh, Carly for the for the uh, free discs and the free uh, <laughs> three months of game time with Ultima uh, online. Mm-hmm. Oh, so thank you, Bram, for that bit of detail. Um, the only other thing that I will mention then before I get to our letters is something that I had men- meant to mention last week, which is the trials and tribulations I've been having with my S- with my uh, software that allows me to reply to SMS messages on my PC. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm so glad you remember that story. Oh yeah, I know. Oh, so I we, <laughs> I, it's been all kinds of trouble for me. It's a convenience that is probably not worth the convenience, but uh, I still use it to this day, just so that I can chat with you and other people that I talk to on SMS. Uh, so last week right. I was giving some uh, technical training to a team from our continuing education department at my school, and in the middle of my presentation, a little uh, pop up in the corner comes up and it says, "Return the fork, or I will destroy you." Right in the middle of my PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> so luckily, that was just a little thing in the corner. I don't think anyone noticed or was able to read it before I clicked it, but of course I got it right away and had to choke on my on my laughter for a second there. Um, the other thing that okay, I've done... So, so, so to clarify why that happened, <laughs> I, I, I was at work, and it was one of those rare moments where it, you know a thought comes into your head, and it was of Canaan... In Bioforge, this is from our last episode of going, Call to the boss, you'll be sorely disappointed. And, you know, you beat him to death with his own blue arm. And I thought, oh, yeah, this will make Brian laugh. But, oh, uh, and it yeah. did. <laughs> that was a good deal. I was fucking mortified. Uh, oh, that's all, oh, whatever. It wasn't a big deal. I was training like four people, so. Oh, okay. Was, I thought this was, was like intimate. in front of like a massive board meeting or something. <laughs> no, thankfully it wasn't, yeah, to a big, whatever. That yeah, was fine. <laughs> So the other stupid thing I've done is, um, I, I think Windows is particularly notorious for this, where when you're booting up and you're like in the middle of typing something in one window, and then the next thing will pop up and you'll start typing in yeah. the wrong window by accident. And so I kind of typed my uh, my uh, network password into an SMS window and sent it to you. So please, please promise not to uh, impersonate me. I promise I don't have enough clout for that to be worthwhile anyway. At first I thought, at first I thought you were like, your wife had gotten a hold of your phone and was harassing me again, and I was about to reply. <laughs> That's right. And I now think, the third uh, one. I oh, think yeah, go the ahead. only thing I've ever done that was along that lines was, uh, this was two years ago, um, I was using iMessage, which is just, yeah, that SMS client for uh, Apple machines. 
Mm-hmm. And I was going back and forth, and, and with iMessage, it does a really, really poor job of distinguishing between the different people you're talking to. They don't have a picture beside them or anything. You have to look at the names. And I was going really, really fast in between all of my windows, and I was replying to one coworker in one window and to my girlfriend in the other. And my coworker was sitting across the room, and we were iMessaging quietly at work. And all of a sudden, my coworker looks up at me, and her eyes are, like, lit up, and she's laughing, like, just laughing hard. And she goes, are you sure you wanted to tell me that? And I said, what? <laughs> uh, and, I, and then she turned her laptop around, and I just, like, it was the most embarrassing thing. I think that the, the message said something like, hey, honey, my diarrhea is finally over. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and then I, yeah, she was really kind about it. I'm like, I am so sorry. She's like, oh, don't worry. I have elderly parents, and they tell me that kind of thing all the time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cute. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, great color. Oh, now that, now that you've mentioned this, actually, because it's related to the topic of MMOs, I want to... Uh, I, had a, I had an experience like this. I was talking previously about this game called There, which was like the yeah. uh, massively multiplayer kind of online chat hangout sort of a service in the 3D world. So um, one of the people that I was hanging out with was my buddy Sonny Ryder, who was the keyboardist and singer, and he and I would do our concerts together. Um, we chatted right. a lot, too. And he introduced me to uh, a woman that he liked to hang out with online as well. Her name was uh, Bud, I think, Bud Woman, something like that. She was a gardener. Um, okay. So the two of them were very, very chummy. And I knew that uh, Sonny Ryder was... I just broke the glass, sorry. Oopsie. So I knew I knew that Sunny Rider was um, he he had some issues at home anyway. I won't go into yeah. to detail. But uh, one day I had them both on my I think it was geez AOL Instant Messenger, which I reluctantly installed because that's what a bunch of people on there like to use, and I hated it. But anyway, uh, one day Sunny Rider messaged me and he said, "I love you," and so I knew that he was not mess he did not meant he had not meant to message that to me. He meant to message that to Bud. And a lot of things made sense all of a sudden. I very much suspected that they were having sort of like a <laughs> online affair sort of a thing together. <laughs> so I never mentioned it to them. I never replied to it. But uh, I kind of had a deeper understanding of the whole situation and kind of was a little sorry for everybody that they had to be in a situation like that and how complicated it must be that they lived in different areas of the United States. And oh. I always wondered what happened with that. So that's a that was a very soap opera kind of a thing. <laughs> Great, All right, so the last of my SMS tribulations, which you are not yet aware of, is I was watching something on Netflix uh, with my wife. We, we just watch on our computers, and for whatever reason, sometimes movies, like the sound mixing is really, really quiet, so I have to crank my speakers, like, all the way up. And right. so you sent me an SMS message while we were in the middle of watching our movie with my sound cranked way up. And so the sound mixing is quiet in the movie, but not so for the SMS software, which goes like boing or something. And my darling, sweet little baby, Budgie Maxie, was sitting on top of my monitor and uh, quite startled her with his loud noise. And so she takes a big crap and it lands on the front of my monitor. And how do I describe this? You know, like those, you know, like those... um, things that you get, the, those machines at the grocery store, you put in a quarter and it gives you like an egg with a little toy in it. Right, right. Okay, so you know like those those gooey spiders that you throw at the wall and they kind of crawl oh, slowly down your wall? Down the wall? Uh-huh. So there's the visual <laughs> image for you. 
So I had to pause the movie and go get some Kleenex and some water. Oh my god! That was all, I can, so, all I can think of was like dropping a big, you know, like double double decker ice cream onto the sidewalk and watching it melt. Oh, yummy! Well, luckily, great. buddies have <laughs> buddies have tiny little poops, so thank goodness it doesn't get too far and make too much of a mess. But they're very in, indiscriminate poopers, and they'll take any excuse they can to drop one. So thank you again for giving her, like, pushing the big red button on her. <laughs> That's awesome. That was awesome. All right, so despite all that crap, I still use this stupid SMS program because, alas, there's no such thing as a decent keyboard on a touchscreen. So I'd rather use my own. <laughs> ah, all right, that was the preamble of preambles, and I think I shall now progress us to the uh, email that uh, we have been sent Awesome. By, I, I keep wanting to call him Father Torque. It is Father Beast. <laughs> Father Torque. Father Torque. I keep wanting to call him that. This is from Father Beast, who, thank you for reminding me, is a name that we recommend, recognize from Joe Mastrioni's uh, podcast, The uh, yeah. Upper Memory Block. Hello, Joe. Upper Memory Block, Father, Father Beast. I almost called you Father Torque. Um, <laughs> has always these fantastic stories about how he's come across old games or you know old computer hardware uh, from his childhood, which I find just amazing. So. Can't wait to oh, good. Well, he will not disappoint our vi- our uh, viewers. Jeez, I don't know what these people do to consume our product. <laughs> Whatever it is that you do, you plug it into your butt or something, I don't know. Please uh, ingest the following email. <laughs> Hello, this is Father Beast. I tried to keep up with the latest episode about gaming mags and add my two pips in. First, corrections. Computer Gaming World did have a disc attached, but I'm sure half a hundred people have already said that. So no, they haven't. Thank you, Father Beast, for uh, pointing oh. that out. Also... William Trotter, writer and reviewer for PC Gamer, was known as Colonel Trotter, not General. I think his, I think his um, column might have been called the Desktop General, so maybe that's where I confused that, but it, Colonel Trotter does sound correct, so thank you for that again. Next, thanks for the update on the CGW Museum. I remember when it first went up seven or eight years ago with the first 100 issues and thought he was quitting after that, so I hadn't been back. I'm, pl- I'm pleased that the whole thing is now there. And yeah, I'll comment on that too. That um, back when they were only hosting the first hundred issues of that, I was so happy with that. Even though I don't think they the first hundred issues, I don't think I had, um, bought a magazine in the first one hundred. But I right. was so happy with what they were doing. I bought a CD-ROM from them for twenty bucks, which they mailed out to me just with those. Oh, you're kidding! Issues, and since then I've downloaded every single one of those and backed them up somewhere in case. Oh, I that's read awesome! Them online. So yeah, I uh, I, re- I remember when he no. he had, I, I was actually on a mailing list with um, there's a ma- an amazing ma- mailing list and I'm so hesitant to put it out on the podcast but I'll trust our listeners are very very kind wonderful amazing people <laughs> there's a little secret mailing list out there it's not secret but it's 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 hard to find it called SW Collect and if you are into collecting old DOS games this is an amazing resource or Amiga games or whatever it is but usually it's fairly DOS focused. SW Collect is this mailing list, uh, an old school mailing list um, that has these a few dozen collectors from all over the world, including John Romero, which I thought was quite funny. Um, wow. Yeah, he, his name randomly pops up on the mailing list now and then. He's an amaz- a major software collector. Um, and um, the guy who runs the CGW Museum is one of the people there. And I remember he was posting that he was going to quit on the project. He was sick and tired of it. He, I think he had some health issues or family issues. Something was coming up that prevented him from doing it. But then he got a ton of support from all of the folks, um, people who were willing to step in and help scan stuff. And it was just amazing. So, yeah, that guy, that guy put a lot of work into that website. Hmm. 
Well, good for him. Um, getting back to the email, he says, Also, since one of you expressed great affection for the old CGW radio and GFW radio podcasts, I should mention that a sort of spiritual successor is available at Rebel FM, found at rebelfm.libsyn.com. I'll put that link in the show notes. I also think, now that I recall, I forgot to put the uh, Games for Windows podcast archive link that I have oh, right. on my own on my own web server into the show notes last time, so I will do that. Games for Windows podcast. I'll put that in my notes. Uh, whoops, let me just get down to where we were. Um, now for my own memories. For the longest time, I was subscribed to PC Gamer, Computer Gaming World, later Games for Windows, and Computer Games Magazine, formerly Computer Games Strategy Plus. Two of them conked out, and only PC Gamer is left, which I still subscribe to. I got no notice that Computer Games Magazine was folding. They just stopped coming. When Games for Windows Magazine was cancelled, they replaced my subscription with... Uh, one to Electronic Gaming Monthly, which was a poor substitute. Then, to add insult to injury, they cancelled Electronic Gaming Monthly and started sending me Maxim, which I didn't want at all. Oh, and speaking of offensive, back before I subscribed to anything, I used to go down to the grocery store and hang out by the magazine rack and read PC Gamer, occasionally buying the odd issue I thought was particularly awesome, as well as its sinister publication, PC... Oh, it's sinister. Sister publication, PC Accelerator. <laughs> PC Excel, as PC Accelerator was shortened, was sort of the rock star boobs and trash talk version of PCG. Since wow, both I didn't magazines, even know that existed. I sounds familiar. I don't think I ever bought one. Um, 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 since both magazines were produced in the same building, there was a friendly rivalry between the two mags. PC Gamer referred to PC Excel as PC Exaggerator, and PC Accelerator <laughs> referred to PCG as PC Lamer. <laughs> I only bought one issue, the their last, which had this dead black cover with two tiny white words in the middle. It's over. It was so wow. over the top outrageous that I've often looked for somewhere that it might have have it archived with no success. Anyway, I'm fairly new to Square Waves FM, just the last three episodes, but I like what I hear and will listen to your own archives at some point, as well as keep listening to the new ones, Father Beast. Thank oh, you very cool. much. That's a terrific email, Father Beast. Really, That's really amazing. appreciate it. I'm glad you one. brought up EGM, because I forgot EGM. Yeah. We, I don't think we mentioned it. And um, I got the occasional EGM. I remember it as being kind of one of the more tabloidy, um, um, it, that the articles were never partic particularly good, but the, uh, the I remember it was very visual. There was tons of screenshots, and that's where I knew it could count on, was if I wanted to find out about new games coming up, I'd kind of flip over to an EGM. Yeah, I uh, I own several of them, too, and I just didn't... I don't think I looked at the magazines closely enough to really differentiate one magazine from the other so much, just that it was another one. Of, I think that was actually a primarily a console-focused yeah, magazine. Exactly. And in later years, it's been canceled in recent years, the last three or four years, but in later years, they started covering more PC stuff as well. Not that oh, I bought it. Okay. Um, and in fact, they also pioneered this sort of a web digital magazine thing. Oh, I don't remember what it was called now. EGMX or something like that, which okay. was a really impressive format for like a web-based magazine which had like really beautiful kind of dynamically changing contents and some scrollable areas oh. and some interactive areas and some videos embedded where a screenshot might have been or when you click was on a screenshot recently, it, or is this a yeah this was in the last five years or so oh so okay. i'm pretty sure it's gone now as 
uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly no longer exists. But I had emailed them once just saying, I love this format so much, even though I'm not much of a console gamer, I'd love to subscribe to just the digital one, because the the old issues were available to anyone, but this month's issue was only available to subscribers of the paper magazine. So they Uh, wrote me back saying, no, you still have to just subscribe to the paper magazine in order to get the digital one, but we'll let you know if anything changes. Right. So I think right. that maybe that was a change that they could have afforded to make sooner. Maybe that would give them some longevity, but alas, they were cancelled. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so thank you very much, Father Father Beast. <laughs> Keep wanting to call him Father Torque. <laughs> which is such a cool character. Oh, yeah. I love Father Torque. And I love how mysterious Father Torque is. You know, you don't, you only see him, I think, once in the entire game. Am I correct? Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and he just like he leaves such an impression, you know. He's kind of like the, the aged, um, the aged fatherly uh, uh, biker that you know at one point was the captain of the polecats. Yeah, that's right. Leader he refuses to solve any problems. He he has full faith in the leader. Oh, you see him twice actually, because you see him at the very end as well. Oh, that's right. That's right. I forgot the ending too. I won't. I won't spoil anything. Yeah. All right. So thank you very, very much, Father Beast. We also have a voicemail from our uh, delightful listener, Avi Hayun from Israel. Avi, thank you so much for, for submitting this to us. I shall uh, play this now. Fantastic. Hi, Squares. It's uh, Avi Hayun again. I uh, wanted to say hello. And I have several uh, minor f- feedbacks I thought they can, uh, you know, pitch in. So the first thing... Um, I want wanted to say a big, huge, gigantic thank you for the amazing uh, magazine you sent me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's just amazing with that uh, a 1.4 uh, diskette. I just love it. I really love it. It really gives the whole the whole thing gives me a really throwback to the to the days when I when I had those mag- magazines. I I just love it. I really love it, and it's really hilarious. And thank you. The second thing I just want to say is that you, you, you talked about, uh, the other day you talked about um, a light version of Windows. So I think it wasn't um, exactly as I said. I, I, you, you talked about um, Windows 95 or 3.1 light version. So I'm not sure it, um, there was something like that. I, I, I checked online. I didn't find anything, but it, it doesn't say anything. But I just, I, I've just done a quick check. So maybe there was something I missed, but I remember having a 98 Windows 98 Lite version. I had that um, great uh, piece of software where I could uh, just remove, you know, the spam from Windows 98. For example, there was that Messenger, if you remember, which was uh, horrible. And I had the option in that piece of software just to remove many pieces which were integrated into the operating systems. Uh, of Windows 98, so I just remove. I remember removing that uh, Messenger and many other tiny things, and my system just was much, much smaller and ran much, uh, much more smoothly. So that's about the 98 Windows 98 Lite version. And I just wanted to throw you a suggestion. Um, I want to suggest a, 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 maybe you can have a podcast about uh, arcade machines. I know that Chris uh, mentioned several times that, that he works uh, with arcades. You know, just one podcast about that could be really, really nice. I think everybody loves the uh, arcades. And um, 
if you will talk about uh, arcades, um, I can also suggest there's a great podcast by um, You Don't Know Flack. That's the name of the podcast. Um, where that guy, I heard many of his podcasts, he, he just uh, talks about, uh, he, he also, he loves arcades. He bought tens of arcades and he had them, he had at his house, he went to auctions, he even wrote a book about arcade machines. And so, so for, for, for first, you, I, I suggest you go to his site, listen to his podcast. It's a great podcast. He's really a hilarious guy. And um, you'll find lots of good stuff there. I, I'm sure uh, maybe mainly Chris because he works in the arcade machines, but lots of tips, lots of things that you, you'll love to hear about. And it's, it's a really good uh, podcast. And maybe you can do something, you know, co-host with him, with that guy, with, uh, you, you don't know Flack. Um, and do something special, you know, a, a, a podcast about the arcade with him or, or without him. It's just a suggestion. I thought that I'll just uh, throw it, uh, pitch, in, pitch it in. Anyway, thank you very much. Keep it up. I love your podcast. And um, thank you again for that uh, magazine you sent me. Um, that's it. Goodbye. Yeah, thank you very much, Avi. What a terrific voicemail. We love to get uh, feedback like that. And hey, we really love to get uh, recommendations for topics as well. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, thank you, Avi. Um, I'm so glad you got uh, NPC Zine in the mail. I was concerned that it might not make it all the way to Israel. Uh, yeah, yay. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought it would take months, but apparently got there pretty quick. So, um, fantastic. Um, yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, we'll put out uh, a second issue of NPC. Um, that's kind of been on the on the books for a few weeks, but I just haven't had a, a, a chance to work on it much lately. Um, Me too. The uh, second part of your uh, voicemail about um, oh, small versions of Windows. Oh yeah, well, 98 Lite. Thank you for reminding me. 98 Lite was exactly the program I used to strip down 98 to its bare bones. I was uh, pretty cheap about it. I think the only thing I'd leave in there was like the you know the modem telecom suite and a couple of other things so I could get it down to like you know a couple hundred megs. Um, and the third thing, uh, which is really exciting, um, it's funny that you bring up uh, Rob o Flack O'Hara's podcast. Um, I've got two reasons why that was actually been really important in my life. Um, half of the reason that, um, you know, um, I even kind of got into this stuff was because about oh, six, eight years ago, I came across Rob's book called Commodore. And Commodore is oh, all about... Oh, he wrote that. Yeah. I think I mentioned it once before, um, all about his experience during the Commodore 64 and DOS pirating days. And um, that, uh, that, that really set my mind to work. Uh, I even started building a uh, ABS pirate software simulation game uh, based on it uh, back then. And um, that's a, another story. But, uh, yes, um, I, I definitely have listened to um, You Don't Know Flack. It's a great podcast. And I can also thank Rob Flack O'Hara, if you ever listen to this. Uh, it's like to thank you, Rob, for um, getting me into the arcade stuff. I had already done a little bit of arcade work. Uh, about 10 years ago, but it was only last year that I got back into it, and it was all because of You Don't Know Flag and his book on collecting arcades. Um, it gave me kind of the basics of how to curate, care, and repair these massive beasts, and um, kind of based on that book and my own experience with electronics and stuff, I've been able to, yeah, I've made a business out of uh, restoring all the arcade games. So thank you, Avi, so much for reminding me to bring that up. Um, it's it's a great book. It's a great podcast. 
Oh, it's a great couple of books and a great podcast. So thank you so much. Mm-hmm, thank you. I can pretty much guarantee that we're going to have at least one episode about arcades. I, oh, yeah, we have. I love arcade games my whole life long. I've been playing them since I was a little kid. Um, my grandfather owned an arcade in Winnipeg. Oh, that's so cool. And, yeah, I have many, many arcade-related stories and memories, um, especially now that I've been listening lately to the No Quarter podcast yeah. by Carrington Vanston and Mike McGinnis. It is a hilarious, wonderful podcast, a nice short one where they pick one game every week and uh, play it and talk about it and talk about the history. It's all, it's kind of like the Upper Memory Block podcast in its format, except that it yeah. ends with a high score and a competition between the two hosts for the, the best score. So, <laughs> and very Jerry's highly a really, really funny guy and really they good are. Off the top kind of humor type. Yeah. He's a very good... They're both very good-natured, good-hearted guys, and they have terrific chemistry together. Yeah, that's T- fantastic. Highly recommend it. And it's nice Great. to have a podcast that's less than an hour long. I've heard that that's possible. <laughs> no, it's I have not. no experience with such a thing, though. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. No good All podcast right. is under three hours. <laughs> I know. Exactly. That's what I'm sticking to. Hey, what, what do you say that uh, <laughs> since our, our preamble has gone <laughs> on longer than most topic. of the podcasts we listen to, let's <laughs> tackle that main topic. No way we're going to cover this in one episode. Not that we care. Um, exactly. I'm so happy to go on to this with multiple episodes. Um, and would you like to introduce our main topic, sir? Oh, you betcha. Today we're going to talk about massively multiplayer online games. And I think uh, primarily we're going to be talking about RPGs, aren't we? Yeah, I guess. Um, I'm, I, I'm going to mention one that's non-RPG, but for the most part it is going to be all about RPGs. Mine are all MMORPGs, so uh, it'll be good to get a little uh, extra uh, uh, contrast on that. I mean, I did talk. we talked a little bit, maybe marginally, about this genre in our multiplayer episodes in uh, previous right. uh, weeks. Um, so, perhaps it would make sense for us to go about this in a more or less chronological order. I mean, we talked about, I guess the earliest one we must have talked about so far would have been uh, the Sierra Network. Yeah, and suppose you'd call definitely. It and it, it, predates, it predates MMOs by a lot, a lot, and it's hard to even think of it as an MMO because it's not quite so massively. It's minimally multiplayer. <laughs> I guess so. So... The earliest game that I've got on my list is definitely from the mid-2000s. Um, okay, wow. Yeah, so I think you are going to be our authority on uh, kind of the genesis of this genre, or at least of the earlier titles, so would you like sure. to start us off? Yeah, I don't, I don't think we need to go in order. I think we should just go, off, go with whatever, uh, whatever comes to mind at the time, because um, mm-hmm. I'm sure we're going to spark some stories off between each other. <laughs> it's funny how between these games, it's... Well, what I always noticed was the games are very different. The experiences seem to be almost the same. Oh, did I hope I didn't hang up on you. Oh, no, I'm no, here. I'm good. Okay. Um, hit my wrong button. Um, the earliest one that I know of is actually even predates the Sierra Network by at least five years, which is kind of unbelievable. Um, did you know that there was a Neverwinter Nights game? <laughs> no. What? Yeah. It's pretty pretty insane. Um Back in the Commodore 64 days, uh, Commodore 64 had an online service called Quantum Link. Um, I was not a user of Quantum Link, but I only want to bring it up because I know we do have a few 64 uh, listeners on the show. Um, Quantum Link was an online service that's very, very much like CompuServe, um, Genie, all of those kind of online things that would get packed into your Sierra boxes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would allow you to dial up, connect to message boards, that kind of thing, and it had its own 2D top-down 
tile-based RPG, <laughs> unbelievably based on the um, uh, Dungeons Dragons universe, and called Neverwinter Nights, and it was literally uh, full-on MMO. I think it had up to a thousand players at some point. It was very, very large. Um, yeah, and and I think this was in like 1986, 87. Um, this is quite a while back. Um, and so pretty amazing stuff. As far as I know, that's never been emulated ever uh, since. I, I think they've, they've actually, for Commodore 64 users, you, you'll love this, um, Quantum Link was actually fully emulated uh, almost perfectly in a new service called Quantum Link Reloaded. Um, and it's running off of a server. Uh, I, I believe it's running off of a server somewhere in the States. And you can, you can actually dial in with your Commodore 64 or via Telnet and uh, reconnect to the old service. It doesn't have the old message boards and stuff like that, but they've kind of done their best to replicate the old system. So, um, yeah, kind of a weird blend of modeming, BVSing, and uh, MMORPG. Um, but the first wow. personal experience I ever had was um, Ultima Online. Um, do you mind if I uh, talk about that one for a bit? Please do. Okay, cool. Um, this might be, I, I'm, I would be so excited if any of our uh, listeners have actually played Ultima Online. It's very unlikely that you did, um, but uh, because it's never had the subscriber base that some of the bigger uh, games like WoW had. But uh, in, in my time, actually, Ultima Online is what basically got me on the Internet. Um, in, when I was in high school, uh, actually, what got me on the Internet was looking for a walkthrough for Ultima 8. Um, <laughs> but uh, when I was in high school... I was looking around for Ultima stuff um, on the internet, and there were not very many web pages available in 1994, 95. I remember somebody saying in 94, 95 that you could see all of the internet in a few weeks if you spent the time. Um, and I managed to track down, I think, maybe about a dozen uh, Ultima-related sites. I think there was called the Ultima Web Ring, and I would go through these sites and you know write down the URLs and stuff. And one of the ones I came across was... Um, an IRC channel um, and web chat board, um, and I got very, very heavily involved in the IRC channel on Eris Freenet or EFNet. Uh, hung out on uh, Hash Ultima for over ten years um, at that point, and uh, I came across a web board called La Wizard's Chat Zone, and La uh, Wizard. Yeah, La Wizard, and it was <laughs> it was very bizarre, but it was full of Ultima freaks, uh, people just obsessed with Ultima. There was another place called, and I think it was called Andrew's Place Chat Room, and they were basically in the old days when um, there was no such thing as proper PHP-based web software. So to post a message, it was all via CGI bin, if you guys remember common gateway oh, yeah. interfaces. <laughs> mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, Lou Wizard had actually written a chat board and put it on his website so you could post a message and then you'd have to hit reload to see your message pop up in a threaded manner. Um, <laughs> if you remember those, what those web boards used to look like. Um, That's great. <laughs> so I got really involved in that and then somebody on there had posted, hey, um, I've got a friend that works over at Origin. I heard rumors that they're going to be making an online Ultima. And, you know, people went insane. You know, the, uh, oh, and there was also, sorry, there was also Usenet, uh, rec.videogames.ultima.dragons uh, or something like that. That was also a very popular place, but I didn't hang out on that uh, Usenet group much. 
but yeah, this spread like wildfire. And they said yes, and there's even going to be a pre like a, a, an alpha test, so so they can see if players can play this game. Um, so I, I just about shit my pants, basically. I uh, <laughs> yeah, I I just went nuts, and I said, what do I need to do to get into this? So they said, you know, send an email over to Origin or go on to this. They're going to put up a web page soon where you can register. And sure enough, um, a few weeks later, I think this would have been in early, uh, I want to say it was early 95 or 90, I think it was 96, um, kind of like January in 96 or something like that. I um, found this web page on uh, Origin, oh, what was it, OWO.com, I can't remember. Origin had its own website at that point, finally. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I signed up for this beta, and I, you know, I was like, so, you know, they'd, they'd say, what was your testing experience? And I, I lied that I tested all these video games and, uh, and, you know, put down my computer specs, which was a 46 at the time. It's like the whole uh, Pirate BBS NUP thing, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I was just those. trying to get some street cred. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I signed up for several beta MMO things where you had to fill out those sorts of things. Yeah, and kind of just yeah, prove that you're 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 elite enough. And uh, mm-hmm. but really, I think the reality was they were this was they were just starving to have anybody that would actually want to play this thing at first. And um, so I, I, how did it work? I I didn't get into the first round of testers, um, but then they had a bigger second round. So the, what happened was, Origin had a, a very very tiny pre-alpha. The first pre-alpha I think was limited to a hundred players, maybe tops. Um, mm-hmm. I was not a part of that, but I was very, very jealous of my friends that got in. But I got into the second pre-alpha test, which was at E3 in 1996. Um, and it was being demoed live at E3, which must have been pretty cool to people walking by. You know, you'd see this computer monitor showing all of these players interacting online, talking and stuff like that. Um, and for anybody who's never played Ultima Online, basically it was um, take the Ultima 7 perspective and um, just crank up the graphics to 640 by 480. And um, it, so it's a top-down, semi-isometric or diametric uh, perspective RPG, all 2D. Um, and how else to describe it? It's, um, um, you walk your little character around. You can take your clothes on or off. You can, it, 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 it was way ahead of its time at the time. Um, so I got into this pre-alpha, and I just... I just lost my mind. It ran like absolute crap on my machine. At the time, I had a 14.4 modem and uh, a 486, and that was well below spec. I think they were wanting a Pentium minimum and that 28.8 or something like that. But um, it ran terrible on my machine. Like, I, and it was called, I call it step-based lag. Um, in later games, they would have like, you know, predictive lag where, you know, in Quake, you'd be running off in one direction and all of a sudden it would rubber band you back to where you were before. Um, this would never let you get more than one. So, so it was literally doing a uh, what would you call it? A uh, a check bit every step you took. So it'd be step, oh. yeah. So so you'd be like step, step. I'm I'm walking across the yard here, going <laughs> trying to show my listeners who can't see this. <laughs> so it's almost like a turn-based thing. Yeah, it was almost turn-based. But if your modem was fast enough, you could actually run. <laughs> so, <laughs> So it's kind of funny limitation. They they fixed that um, sort of in the later uh, Ultima. You, they they added a little bit of step based prediction, um, but but for the most part in those days it was literally just taking one step at a time. It was like being ninety years old. So 
Um, I, yeah, I, this, that pre-alpha test changed my whole life. Um, I, can, I can honestly say that without any exaggeration. Uh, it changed my whole life because I made a lot of new friends. I got the wizard who ran the chat zone. Turned out I ran into him in-game. There was just this guy oh, wow. running around. Yeah, this guy running around. And to give everyone a picture of this, um, the pre-alpha test was uh, based in what they called Greater Pre-Alpha Britain, <laughs> which was basically they had only built a map that was large enough to encompass the city of Britain and a couple of farmlands around it. Um, mm -hmm. And the com a, a comparable size would be, you know, one of the starter towns in uh, World of Warcraft. You know what I mean? Um, sure. Yeah, very, very small. You can explore the whole thing in about 10 to 15 minutes if you want to. Um, so it was tiny. But um, when I was doing the test, there was maybe about 500 players on max at any one time. And I think that was really all they, they, could, they could handle. And um, I ran into this guy named Le Wizard who was wearing this you know, all-green get-up. And I said, hey, I recognize you. You're from the chat board. And he said, hey, cool. Want to... Um, so uh, I said, I recognize you from the... Uh, I didn't... Uh, I, I lost your... Uh, what you said there. Oh, sorry. Um, he said, hey, cool. Yeah, so I, I said, hey, cool. You know, you want, do you want to hang up, hang out? And, uh, and I said, sure. So this guy goes, hey, let's create a guild. We'll be called the Green Skirt Guild. And uh, <laughs> he, he found some, some way of getting green skirts. I think it was actually some sort of hack. And because uh, there was no dying. You couldn't dye clothes in those days. Um, so he gave me a green skirt, and then I got, all of a sudden, I ganked from a dead body a green shield and a green helmet, and uh, <laughs> and we ran around, you know, killing rabbits and deer and stuff like that and har harassing other people and stuff. But um, it was very cool. It was a very fun introduction to it. And um, what else to say? I mean, there was, there was a lot of stuff that happened. Um, one of my favorite memories of it was um, I was in um, downtown Britain, and all of a sudden, this, I, I don't know how to describe it, like a black scotoma, uh, a black round sphere just appeared on my screen, localized over this one area, and it took about, I don't know, one-third of the screen up. So I ran away, because I didn't know what it was, and I ran back, and it was just black. And then all of a sudden, these, these black spots started appearing everywhere all over the map, and I thought, what the hell is going on? And <laughs> they, they, they removed this spell later from the game, understandably, but it was called the Darkness Spell, and you could cast Darkness anywhere on the map, and it, for a period of five minutes, it would just leave a big black spot on the map that would cover about, you know, one-third of the screen on, any, but on every single <laughs> monitor in the game. So, of course, as soon as players figured that out, they started to try casting Darkness on every part of the map uh, uh -huh. <laughs> to make the game completely unplayable. So, yeah, that lasted that one test, and that was it. Neat. <laughs> That's cool. I love the, I love that phase of experimentation where they see whether something will be exploited. Yeah, exactly. And I always felt that Ultima Online they, they took a lot of risks. They were willing to put in stuff that yeah would would be potentially exploitable just because it was fun, and then inevitably have to remove it because it would get completely abused. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was uh, that was a big deal back in those days. I was very very involved in the IRC chat room that went along with it. Um, got you know, super involved. And this is going to lead, lead on to leader stories about Ultima Online because uh, the Wizard and group of guys and girls that hung out there eventually became 
the group of people that killed Lord British uh, a year later. So um, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, so well, I read about this in like news sites and stuff. I can't believe you were really there. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll get to that later. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, there was. You know, my experience was it was just fun. There was naked people everywhere because every time you died, your stuff would be left on your dead body, and then you'd respawn naked in the temple. So there would just be hundreds and hundreds of naked people running everywhere saying, have you seen my stuff? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Dude, where's my gear? (laughs) (laughs) Um, There there was a couple of things that were also ahead of their time, and they eventually stripped out too, unfortunately. At this inn downtown called the Wayfarers Inn, I think, um, they had an Animal Crossing-style message board where you could um, post a town message for everyone to read. Which oh, was, no. yeah, <laughs> yeah, you can imagine how uh, how useful that was uh, after yeah. about thirty seconds of thinking. Um, it's a good idea, so, anyway. In theory, it's a great. In idea. theory, it was a great idea, exactly. And uh, it had a couple of things that I remember too. Um, it had some basic uh, monster AI, which I thought was really cool. Um, I think actually, is it Raf or Rafe Coster? I'm never sure how to say his name. Raf Coster. Oh, I think it's Raf. Yeah. I assume the, it's short for Raphael. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah, Raf Coster. He, um, he, I think he was the guy who did a lot of coding on the pre-alpha, but maybe he didn't come till beta. But they did have mm. basic monster AI, and one of the great things was um, the uh, monsters would actually fight animals in the forest, which was really, really fun. Um, the orcs would run around chasing rabbits and trying to kill rabbits or killing deer, or sometimes a deer would go nuts and start attacking uh, like a rabbit. Um, and it just felt like this living world, living, breathing world, and I never got that out of any game since. Um, that you know, I felt like there was like a little ecosystem going on, and I can talk about that a bit later in the beta stuff. But uh, what was uh, what was one of your first early MMO experiences? I'm really having trouble thinking of any MMO experience that I might have had before playing Guild Wars. Oh, um, Guild Wars! Oh, cool. I really love Guild played. Wars. Okay, so uh, my very good uh, college friend Shannon, he had the uh, he had this habit of buying whatever latest and greatest game might have come out and hating it, and then just giving it to me. <laughs> so good on more than have. one occasion, he is a good friend to have. He remains a good <laughs> friend to have to this day. Hi, Shannon. In case you ever listen, um, he uh, on more than one occasion he would give me a game that was tied to an online account that he had made with his name and his username and all of that. Right. Um, funny, funny enough, one of the games that he gave me uh, it, that fits that description is uh, Half-Life 2. And to oh, this day, wow. 10 years later, my username, my login username for Steam is his username because he gave me Half-Life 2. After how many thousands of dollars I've spent or so, I'm sure that if he ever wanted to screw me over and put out a claim or something for his username. I'm sure that he could steal it away from me. <laughs> oh, I've got a terrible... I, or I had a terrible Steam username, and I regret it to this day that I stuck with it, because I, I assumed that it would be changeable. Uh, right. Terrible. At least, yeah, visibly, you can change what your visible name is, but not the one that you actually log on yeah, with. Yeah, not so. the login, and that's the one that makes me cringe. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> So he gave me Guild Wars as well. Um, do you want me wow. to go into my Guild Wars thing? You, oh, you yeah, haven't uh, no, no, finished no. your thing. Okay, so um, Guild Wars, it is sort of an MMO, and I say that because it has these hub areas. Um, it's split up into a series of of uh, hubs that are like outposts in towns. I wouldn't okay. go so far as to call any of them a city, 
because they're all pretty small. Um, they're instanced towns that can hold, I don't know, maybe 100 people or something. But right. this is what really knocked my socks off, was standing in a town and seeing 99 other people running around doing their own business. It even had clipping, at least for a while, where if you... Uh, Tried to run into, you know, if you tried to run in one direction and you bumped into a real player, then it would stop you cold because that oh, person you're kidding. mass. So that was a really cool thing that made the game a little bit more believable, believable, and gave it some kind of a like permanence, I guess you might say. But oh, of course, so, that became yeah, that, I, that became uh, uh, abused as well, where people would like stand in a line and block people out of uh, a <laughs> vendor or something. <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds like a very ultimate thing to do. I like it. Oh, sure, sure. Hey, you leave it to the community and they'll do it. At least because it was instanced, you had a little pull-down menu in the top left-hand corner. Like, one area was called Lion's Arch. Right. You might be in Lion's Arch 83, and you could just change the pull-down pull to, like, Lion's Arch number 27. And then oh, I wanted to ask instance. about that. So, so you weren't locked into the instance that you started in? So every time you go into an outpost, you enter one instance of that outpost. Yeah. Depending on how many players are standing in the outpost, it would automatically... Uh, spin up or demolish uh, an instance for it. So oh, in the, the main wow, hubs, there would be amazing. dozens and dozens, but in like some of the minor ones, there might be, in its heyday, the smallest might be like 15 instances or so, and later oh, on it will become maybe one or two wild. instances. Yeah, it was a pretty elegant solution, actually, to make it feel like it was populated without being such a crush of people that you couldn't even get around. Yeah, yeah. no, that, that exactly solved the problem that Ultima Online had at some point. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Now, Guild Wars was an, it was an RPG, and it was mainly combat-oriented. Um, right. It was organized, like I said, into the hubs, and outside of the hubs were these explorable areas. Um, you would form a party, because this was the kind of game that you would only be in a party. You wouldn't really uh, right. go out solo to do anything. So initially, the parties are four people, and as it gets a little bit higher level, it turns to six, and then ultimately gotcha. it becomes uh, eight-person pers- eight parties. And you okay. either... Go out and party with other real players, or there were like NPC placeholders, sort of that were oh. of different classes and filled different roles of each class, and you could choose those. Oh, that's those. very cool. It was a good idea. The AI wasn't the greatest, but I was about to ask, was... so the compute did the computer do its own combat in battle? It did do its own combat, and one of the features was that anyone in the party, when you have an enemy targeted. Uh, you could press control space, and that would let you call your target, which means that wow. you would, uh, it would highlight that enemy on the map, and in right. chat it would say, I am attacking, uh, this, I am attacking a, a lizard or whatever. Um, and then anyone, any of the real players could press the T key to target whatever target had been called, and that was a okay. good way to focus down one enemy oh, and see. kill them in order. Um, but if you had any NPC uh, NPC party members, then they would automatically start attacking a called target. So that was oh. a, you could. It was very soloable in that way, where right. you couldn't run around by yourself. Uh, like you couldn't only have one character out in the field because you get demolished. But you could focus the whole party on that one enemy. So that worked well enough. So in these big explorable areas, there might be a bunch of optional quests that you could do, but. Uh, what most people would do, uh, if you wanted to ignore those uh, optional quests, was to just run to the next hub. And every uh, every one or two hubs would have a mission. Okay. And a mission was another instance sort of a thing, where instead of being an open world, it was a linear story-based thing, where you would try to get from the beginning to the end. And it right. wouldn't necessarily mean that you would just run in a straight line. There would often be 
uh, it would often be a maze or just a big explorable region, but with a okay. few specific objectives. And there would be a primary objective and sometimes one or more optional objectives, which would give you extra experience or just another like check mark on however complete uh, your experience of the game had been. Right. Um, so this was a game... Um, this game, the, the, it was a really nice, uh, it was a really nice addition, these missions, because most MMOs didn't really, they didn't really acknowledge you as like the world savior, except for maybe in like some text that's preceded a quest yeah. that you were doing, or exactly. maybe in the, the final raid, uh, the final raid content that would yeah, you and the other five the culmination. world saviors. Yeah, I know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But in most other MMOs, um, everyone would pretty much be just kind of an ordinary peon, and then at the very end, just because you stuck it out longer than the other real players, then you can see like the real end game content. Whereas right. in in this game, it acknowledges you, and in fact, like the there wasn't any speech in the cutscenes, but it would replace your name uh, if you were the leader of a party. Then it would put your name in uh, as who the NPCs were speaking to, and it would show your character, and your character would be. Uh, speaking to the uh, other people that were talking to you. So okay. that was kind of nice. And if you weren't the leader of the party, then you would see the leader of the party in that place. So okay. it was kind of a, a nice incentive to get you to uh, recruit people yourself. And that was a good way for them to make sure that uh, there were lots of people seeking other players cool. to team up. Now, one thing that was really unique about Guild Wars was that unlike other games, it had a very low... You know, it's a, it's the kind of a game where you gain levels to increase your power. Mm -hmm. But in Guild Wars, the maximum level was level 20. And you would get to level 20 something like a quarter of the way through the game or so. Oh, really? So I really appreciated this. So the the game, uh, the enemies would continue getting harder and harder, but you wouldn't really get any more powerful. But what, right. instead of being more powerful, um, you would have a bunch of points that you could use to spec out your character in various specializations. And... Right. Unlike other MMOs, it was very uh, lax in allowing you to respec your characters, to refund oh. all your points and reallocate them. You're kidding me. You couldn't me. do it. So if you were in an instance, like a combat instance, you couldn't do that. But if you were in a town, you could freely refund all of your points and completely spec your character totally different. Wow. Um, and what's more, you only had eight skill, uh, eight skill buttons that you could use. Um, at any given moment. Okay. However, there were something like 150 skills per class. Wow. So you would have eight. to choose which of those eight skills would have kind of a synergy. And so that allowed what, you to do really exciting so it builds. it was a mix between skill and level-based advancement? Well, the level was really superficial. Yeah, um, I was kind of wondering what that even represents then. Well, in fact, that's something that they minimized later on with the expansions. Okay. In the first game, it might in like in the very first original game, it might have actually been maybe a third or perhaps even halfway through the game that you get to max level. Whereas in the future expansions, it would be about a fifth of the way through the game, or even less, oh, until wow. you got to maximum level. Oh. And then if you continue your your max level character to do a, one of the expansions, you would start off as the maximum level. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and, wouldn't get any higher. So it was very much a skill-based game or a, a strategic game instead of a game where if you if you keep trying and failing something, you just come back when you're a higher level to, yeah. to walk all over it. You couldn't do that in this game. You had to adjust your strategy or change oh, who you it. were grouped up with. Oh, yeah, it was great. really rewarding in that way. Um, what else is worth mentioning about this? Um, I had met... I had met one guy that we played with a whole bunch. He was a guy named Jeremy. 
um, before my wife and I, my, I play this with my wife all the time. Um, mm-hmm. This is when we were just dating at the time, and we would play online. And then eventually, as our uh, as our relationship got uh, tighter and tighter, I would bring my my desktop computer and my humongous seventeen inch CRT monitor over to her apartment <laughs> on the weekend, and I would sleep over all weekend. And we would put our computers side by side, and we would oh play this God. online game side by side all weekend together, That's which was so amazing. rewarding, so much fun. It was very romantic, let me tell you. <laughs> um, uh, so before before this game, one game that we enjoyed was one called Dungeon Siege. Had you played oh, this? Oh yeah, one? I I played uh, Dungeon Siege one, but not Dungeon Siege two. Oh, I didn't play much of Dungeon Siege 2, but it's quite good. Yeah, I, I, I heard that there were a lot of amazing mods for it. But yeah, I didn't get too far in it, to be honest, so please go ahead and describe. Okay, I'll be quick about Dungeon Siege 1, because it's not an MMO, but it was another kind of Diablo-style yeah. game in many ways. Uh, uh, but uh, relevant to this topic, it was del- it was similar to Diablo in that it had like online matchmaking through chats systems right. and stuff like that. So I, by chance, met uh, a few people that we had a great time playing together, and we would go out of our way to find each other. One guy was this guy named Jeremy from somewhere in the United States, and he spelled his name funny, J-E-R-E-M-E-Y, and he was a super nice guy and quite huh. a talented player, but he wasn't exactly book smart. He was a terrible speller, and we always wondered whether he was spelling his own name wrong. <laughs> This poor guy, I had to help him once configure his router, like through, I would send him an email and he would send me an email back saying whether something worked. It was excruciating and I don't think we ever got it, but it was Then you found out Jeremy is five years old. It could very well be for all I know. So he was one great guy that we played with. Another person that we played with, I wanted to cover this in our multiplayer uh, our multiplayer discussion. Yeah. We didn't get around to it, so I'm going to steal a little bit of time here. Another Please. person was a, a woman who went by, her, whose character was named Nano, and she was a woman from Japan, oh. which is a rare treat that you get to yeah, play no a multiplayer game with someone across the planet. Um and she was super nice, too, just someone that uh, we struggled to communicate with each other, but we would teach each other words in English and in Japanese. Oh, um, and uh, one memory that I'll share of working, of playing with her was that one time I entered a, a game, and the name of the game was, like, uh, free, free gear. Join and get your free gear. And so I joined this very suspicious-sounding game and am immediately killed. The second I go in, I am killed, and all my gear drops off of my person. Oh, and, God. And some guy comes up, and he picks up all my stuff, and then he doesn't resurrect me. And I think that was the only way you could come back to life, is if somebody resurrects oh, you. Or, no, or maybe I could resurrect myself, but then as soon as I did, I died immediately. It was obviously somebody using a cheat and stealing everybody's gear. And people just kept logging in and dying and logging off. Logging in, dying, logging off. And I, I would like stick around and just yell in chat, no, log off quickly. And it was always too late. They just died. <laughs> Oh, that was funny. It. So I actually like used some kind of a network tool to get the host's IP address, and I reported it to Microsoft. Are they you were the publisher, me? And they emailed me back and saying, oh, we understand that you were having a problem in this game with this IP address. We apologize for the inconvenience. Have a nice day. <laughs> didn't get me too far. <laughs> so anyway, after being severely humbled and losing all of my hard-won gear, I, lo- I found Nano playing in another game. And so I logged on to her game, and uh, I said, Nano, I lost all my gear because of some cheater. And she said, okay, hang on a minute. And uh, she was playing with some other friend of hers from Japan who was saying, right. who is this guy, Nano? Don't give him your stuff. He's just trying to cheat you out of your stuff. But she ignored him, and she gave me all of this you know, gear that was like 80% as good as the stuff that I had that she just had in her bank or something. And I thanked Aww. her profusely. And so I remember her to this very day. Even oh, this that's really great. Be, 
18 years later or something for being such a kind soul. So we continued playing with this other guy, though, Jeremy, who followed us to Guild Wars. Um, played with him a whole bunch. I don't really have any stories about playing with him, except, I think, for bragging to other players about how great he was, and he let us down once or twice by doing something kind of dumb. <laughs> but he was our very good friend, and we played with him a whole, whole bunch. Kept in touch with him for several it, years. It's just, it's just you like one of those stories where, you know, you, you Jeremy disappears, and then, you know, you, you email him over and over and over, and finally, like, two years later, you get an email saying, Hi, this is Jeremy's mom. Jeremy's six years old, so he can't reply to your email yet. <laughs> I wouldn't. It wouldn't have surprised me, to be honest. <laughs> no, he would talk about. I don't know. He. I, I took his word for it. He would talk about going out for beers, and he was actually a professional carpenter or something like that. So. Oh, you're kidding! Cool. Yeah. So, <laughs> it was a it was a convincing story anyway, and I took it at face value. <laughs> um. So um, I mentioned before, yeah, just respecting your points and stuff. Um, one thing that I forgot to mention is that unlike most other MMOs, this is a game where you would choose. They they didn't call they didn't call it a class. They called it a profession, and so you okay. could choose a primary profession and a secondary profession. Every character had like two different uh, classes, you might say. Um, and when something was your primary profession, you know, if, if something was your profession, it gave you a whole bunch of categories that you could spec your points into. But if it was your primary profession, it gave you one more. It might have been strength or something if you gotcha. were a warrior. Um, so there was another, the added challenge of finding two professions that had some kind of a synergy together. And if you didn't really care about that, then you could just choose a secondary profession and then just never put points into it. And you would be a straight up warrior or a straight up uh, mage or something like that. What, in what way did that affect your skill tree or anything like that? Uh, so um, it gave you some categories that you could spec your points into, but it also opened up the library of skills that were available to that profession. Ah, so interesting. There so, was you really... so you didn't get automatic access to all skill trees. It, had, it was very much by profession. Um, so you could you could put skills on your bar from either profession as you unlock them by leveling up and sometimes by uh, purchasing them with other points that you would earn. Mm -hmm. After you had already reached the maximum level, you would still gain experience points, and whenever you like hit, you know, maxed out your experience point bar after getting to max level, that would allow you to unlock one more skill. Um, so it was pretty rare for sense. anyone to have unlocked all the skills because there were like hundreds of skills with the combination of two professions together. Crazy. But for example, you could be a warrior healer and you could be like a self-healing warrior. Um, or, well, there, this was the, the really awesome thing was that because of all the combinations of skills and professions and stuff, there were just infinite combinations that would allow you to contribute to groups in different ways. That's so I crazy. like to, I really enjoyed finding non-standard combinations. Um, so for example, you had this automatic regeneration of health when you were out of combat and mana while you were either in or out of combat, that would stay the same. Um, and it was measured in like these little uh, chevrons, these little pips. That, so your okay. your auto regen would be like four pips, which meant that you would get like four points back every second or something, for example. It wasn't as fast as that, but that's for example. Um, there are some skills that you would cast that would cost like five mana, and you would cast the spell, and then be, with your regeneration, that mana would come back slowly. Or there were some spells that you could cast that were maintained indefinitely and would cost you one of your regeneration pips. And so sometimes I would cast like four different, there might be like one, one skill that would allow you to heal someone a little bit indefinitely as long as you were maintaining that spell on them. So right. I, would find, I, would, I would find a way to uh, get extra regeneration pips and I would just uh, 
cast uh, health regeneration on seven people, and I would always be struggling. I would do a small amount of damage, but I would find some skills that would be like a weak attack that would give me back a little bit of my mana that would allow me to just frantically keep trying to uh, try to keep up uh, with having enough of a mana pool to continuously heal six people in my party. So that was a really interesting way to contribute to my group. Or I might have something where I configure it so that I have no mana, but I cast all these free spells that have slow recharges but very high damage. And so I would infrequently do enormous amounts of damage to especially hard enemies, and otherwise I would just run around waiting for my recharges to come back while the rest of my group did the work. (laughs) So it was really, really rewarding being able to find all these combinations. So you you can save these combinations... Um, to a tiny little file on your hard drive and you can back them up or email them to people or something. Um, or in these text uh, files, it would all it would be this little string of characters and you could uh, access that in the game as well. And you it could paste crazy. the string of characters into chat and then somebody else could copy it and then uh, they would have your uh, your build of skill combinations and how you spent your points. So it was I neat. Love, there's kind of a little community of sharing builds yeah, with each that's other. Yeah, that's amazing. It's very like hacky, and it, it, that's perfect. You're basically like coding your own character. Yeah, very much so. I and like so this that was a kind lot. of, you know, it was still the era of the web where you could look up uh, popular builds or whatever. But uh, it was really cool to play with someone who was doing something you'd never seen before, and just ask, "Oh, what are you doing?" And he'd say, "Oh, here, try it yourself." So everyone would maintain a library of like 30 or 40 builds for every character and it might you can name it whatever you want so maybe if you were facing a challenge that you just couldn't beat but you knew that you needed this kind of you needed this kind of damage or you needed uh, there was one enemy that was giving you trouble that you wanted to cast slowdowns on or something you would kind of prepare a build in advance and come and try try that uh, challenge again with, well, a, I love, with a different build I love that it another, you know it seems just only encourage kind of community sharing in game um that was one of the unfortunate drawbacks to a lot of the MMOs I played was there was a, a lot of um, how can I say it um, the goal in those games was never to share any any information you had gotten because you could exploit it for longer if nobody else knew yeah that's right whereas in this game I think generally because you really only play it in groups of eight right. people really it was in everyone's best interest to make sure that everyone succeeds together I like that that's great and then I won't go into it in too much detail, but the sequel, which just came out a couple of years ago, Guild Wars 2, that's more kind of, of a World of Warcraft or Ultima Online sort of a thing where you control one character and uh, most of the stuff that you do is solo unless you choose to, to team up with someone. But they have some extremely smart ideas about how to incentivize working with other people. Like you, There are benefits to... You get experience points for resurrecting someone or if... Somebody, uh, if you're attacking an enemy and somebody else that's not in your party just comes up and starts attacking them too, then you both get experience. There's just all these very smart ways of making you want to collaborate with random people instead of trying to steal things from them. (laughs) You know, it's funny. Um, It's funny. There's like this highly moralistic side of me that just loves the cooperative aspects, but then there's this nasty side of me that I just, I miss to death the (laughs) uber-exploitative, brutal, Wild West zombie... (laughs) infested, you know, nasty world of the early MMOs. Um, I was just thinking of... I was never a big exploiter. Um, I I wasn't really into that because I really just like to walk around. I realize it did such a terrible job describing Ultima Online because I realize now there are probably many people who have never seen it. Um, Ultima Online was set in a fantasy medieval world where there was tons of 
you know, trees everywhere and, and animals and moon gates, which are these teleporters that take you from city to city. Um, All right. It was an incredibly beautiful world, considering that, you know, um, it was, at the time, nobody had seen anything like it. And I spent a lot of my time just wandering around the forest. I would literally go around the forest and just looking at stuff and just saying, wow, look at that, check out that, that's so cool. Um, mm-hmm. And just it, it just encouraged pure exploration. And um, But the exploitation parts I always thought were really funny. There was There's two things I was thinking of. One, I think it's a story I stole actually from an origin person. It might have been Raph Coster. Um, I didn't personally witness this myself, but um, there was a bug. Um, okay, so I'll probably switch over to Ultima Online Beta. Oh, I actually should make a distinction because the level versus skill thing you brought up is really, really important. That's something that's really slowly evolved in RPG history, um, and RPGs never quite know how to handle that. Um, Ultima yeah. Online Pre-Alpha was a level-based game, and you'd max out at, I think, level 8 or level 9, um, and, and there was nothing interesting to do at that point. Once you hit level 8 or level 9, you could take on the orc captains. There was nothing to do in the game, and that's when exploitation, I think, became an issue, because as soon as your players get bored, they're going to start coming up with interesting things to do. Um, mm-hmm. So the, Ultima Online took a huge risk, because it's the only game that I know of that went completely skill-based. Um, uh, when it launched as a beta. So in beta, um, there's a couple of things I wrote down here that I think are interesting and relevant. It was the first time that I had ever paid for a beta. I, I, was, I remember the whole um, community was outraged that Origin was asking $5 to get into the beta um, mm-hmm. for a beta disc. But I'm so proud that I paid that because I have my original, my first two Ultima Online beta discs. I'm so proud of the beautiful discs. Um, they had, cool. they had went through quite the process to press these in very gorgeous. Uh, so I've got the um, first beta and second beta discs, as well as the T2A or Second Age add-on beta disc too. So they're, they're just beautiful. Um, and I, I, I can't tell you how excited I was because... Origin had shipped these out to people in phases, and um, I had, I think it took 10 or 12 days for my disc to get to the house, and I was vibrating in my chair. I, I would jump <laughs> off the bus, and the first thing I'd do is I'd run, we, had, we lived on a farm, so I'd run down this long driveway, it was about a quarter of a mile long, um, and run straight to the house and say, Mom, Mom, did the mail come in? And she'd say, well, no, I haven't went to check the mail yet, so... <laughs> For anybody who's never lived in a rural com- community, I think um, I think it might be like this for Ben Chandler. I'm not sure. Um, when you live in a rural community, you don't actually have a mailbox at your door. What you have are they're called community mailboxes. Um, right. And they, in our case, it was uh, two miles away, and um, because it, it was a farm area, so I would jump on my bike and then pedal like living hell to this uh, community mailbox because the mail was always delivered before I got home. Um, and, uh, and then I'd get there and open up the mailbox, nothing inside. And then it got to the point where I was getting so, so um, obsessive about this that I actually asked my bus driver um, to drop me off in front of the mailbox and I walked the two miles home. Um, <laughs> so um, the day that I got that beta disc in the mail, I just about shat my pants. It was just like, you know, you, you're a kid, you get that. I don't know how to explain it. You get that funny, funny, wiggly feeling in your spine or your stomach. You just start like sure. <laughs> your arms start shaking. You don't know what to do with all of this like explosive energy. So I just remember I got off the bus, 
there was a there was a little cardboard um, cardboard disc uh, holder, and I knew it was from Origin right away. And I ran, I ran that two miles like like in in 15 minutes. I was just <laughs> I, I I got in the house, popped in the CD, installed it, and I was so bloody excited to play this game. And oh, that's great! And did yeah. it work for you? Oh yeah, it was it was it was amazing. Oh, it was like it was a it was a huge technological leap. The first pre-alpha was really basic. They had basically coded this in. Uh, the client was 14 megs, which at the time was pretty big for a 14-4 modem. It was 14 and a half megabytes. Um, mm-hmm. You downloaded it from their website, and it took hours and hours and hours to get. Um, but it was very basic. Um, it used um, uh, the C++ windowing library, so there was just like very basic windowing um, using traditional Windows-style you know, windows. And I believe, if I'm not correct, I played, I played Ultima Online Pre-Alpha in Windows 3.1. Actually, it was a Win- oh, Windows yeah. 3.1 app. Um, and then Ultima uh, Online Beta, when that came out, um, it, I was already in Windows 95. The, um, the client was just drop dead gorgeous. When you loaded it up, it played a two-minute intro movie that was rendered in this gorgeous 3D um, by a, a, an origin artist by the name of Dennis Lubay, um, who had done all of, um, all of Origin's um, box art um, and their 3D work much later on. And it was just this amazing intro. Uh, the intro... Uh, have you ever heard of somebody referred to a server as a shard? Oh, sure, yes. Yeah, well, it's interesting. That, that, that word exists. Um, because of server shards back in um, 1995. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the, the term came because um, in the Ultima Online intro, when you watch the Ultima Online intro, the, um, it would talk about how this evil wizard, Mondane, um, you killed him in Ultima 3, I think, or Ultima 2. Uh, somebody please, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, you killed this evil wizard in Ultima 3 or Ultima 2, and you shatter the gem of immortality. Well, in in the intro to the game, I thought it was a brilliant little plot tweak. Um, they said, well, when you shatter the gem of immortality, a thousand different Britannias get trapped in a thousand different shards of the crystal. Um, uh-huh. And so, the, so it was their kind of narrative way of explaining that each shard is a separate little world that you get to log into. And, um, and it operates on its own kind of, you know, cultures. It operates on its own kind of people. And, um, oh, so they actually worked that into the lore. That's pretty clever. Yeah, it was very, very clever. And so, and they, so just by, just by, um, um, just by out of habit, everyone started calling each server a shard, um, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. So Raf Koster, I believe, is the one credited with coming up with the term shard. Um, That's really something. The only time I've, uh, I knew that came from Ultima Online, but the only context I knew of was from people who were. They had like reversed engineered the server and were allowing That's people right. to play it for free. If they owned the client, then they could log into this unofficial server for free, and that was called a shard. I didn't know that they had also called like the uh, official different servers shards as well. Yeah, exactly. It was very very cool, and they had like a I think they had four or five shards when they first started. Um, and I remember the most important thing was to find a shard closest to your own ping time. Um, so right. somebody would somebody taught us how to use. Uh, a combination of ARP. I think the the command was called ARP, A-R-P. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. you could ARP some packets, figure out where the servers were, and then trace route to the servers to find out which, which one was the, the nearest number of hops and uh, best latency. And um, 
Okay, so there's, there's a couple of things that are really relevant to all online. Um, the first thing was that I remember when I got into beta, I was just, I was just, I was shaking. The visual difference, the quality of the graphics between pre-alpha and beta were night and day. Somebody had repainted the entire game. This must have taken hundreds, I, I, I'm guessing hundreds, I don't know, because it was only a year. It must have taken hundreds of artists to paint all of this 2D stuff in un- enormous detail at a high res. And um, everything was perfectly textured. It was still 2D, top-down, Ultima-style stuff, but everything looked really, really good. They had uh, spell animations for all these different spells in the game. And uh, the first thing I remember doing was running out, and just, just running out in the, the, into the damn forest, and just being like, damn, this is cool, and seeing another person run by being chased by a grizzly bear. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I targeted the grizzly bear. I did... I did like one, got cut in one shot, and the thing just went swipe, and I went, Ooh, and I died right where I was. Um, oh. So I remember dying. I think I died the first 15 seconds of that game. And then um, I, I respawned because I, I, I didn't care. You could generate as many characters as you wanted. And um, I. Uh, oh, what? It was like permadeath? Uh, or you well, just gave up on that character and tried someone else? Yeah, you could. You you definitely could. Be, but there were really no penalties to death in Ultima Online Beta, other than just respawning at the temple and having to run back and getting your body. You'd lose loot, basically. That was the penalty. Um, okay. But um, there were no stat penalties. There were no skill penalties. And the cool thing with the game was, uh, it, Guild Wars must have taken a huge amount of influence from Ultima Online because... Um, when you started the game, you chose your profession right off the bat. Um, you could be a blacksmith. There was like 20, 30 different professions. You could be a blacksmith. You could be an alchemist. You could be an animal tamer, which is fun. You could be, um, you could be a mage, a wizard, um, and they had different explanations for each uh, type. You could, and, so, and they had about 30 or 40 different skills, which at the time was pretty impressive. Um, and it would do something very similar to Guild Wars, except instead of opening up your skill branches, what it would do is um, you always had access to any skill at any time in the game. However, it was assigned a percentage, and you had a certain percentage amount of training in it, kind of Fallout style. Um, Mm -hmm. And the thing is, if you took one of the professions, it would boost your stats, sorry, your skills in a few specific areas. So, for instance, if you became an alchemist, you'd automatically get a plus 20% alchemy, you'd automatically get a plus 20%, I don't know, uh, potion mixing, plus 20% something else. So okay. each profession would give you a, a, basically a boost to those stats. But the cool thing is it was completely open. You could actually potentially create a character that was 100% in every single skill as long as you practiced them long enough. Um, okay, so you had to actually perform that action in order for exactly. your skill to increase? That's yeah. nice. Yeah, they had no level That's how Dungeon Siege was. Yeah, it, it, exactly. So... I really, really thought that was amazing. So, of course, the, the goal in that game became um, to, to build up your skills as fast as possible because the skills, your stats made very little difference in Ultima Online except for the fact that um, you needed strength to have health um, and you needed uh, intelligence to have mana. But really, mm-hmm. they didn't make a huge difference. And the most important thing by far was having high stat, uh, sorry, high skills. Um, right. So, yeah, the, my, my earliest experience was playing for maybe 20 minutes, dying a bunch of times, and then going out into the wilderness, I couldn't find a single animal to kill. And it was just really frustrating. And I ended up getting into mining and blacksmithing. Um, you, you know, we take it for granted now that mining and blacksmithing are 
a kind of loved part of MMOs, but at the time, um, it was it blew my mind that you could go up to any mountain in the game. You wouldn't have to look for an ore cache or anything like that. You could just look for a mountain and click, double-click your pickaxe, double-click the mountain, and you would hammer away at this mountain for uh, uh, 10 seconds, and then it would show you whether or not you got some iron ore. Mm-hmm. And it just it just blew my mind that you could do that. Or you could go fishing. You know, fishing has always been one of my favorite things to do in MMO RPGs, and I have no idea why. <laughs> yeah, me too. I don't know why. <laughs> it's like it's, it's peaceful. Like, yeah, it's peaceful. It's like it's like peaceful gambling or something. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, yeah, I went fishing a lot in that game and blacksmithing a lot. And um, one a couple of memories stick out for me um, because I played with. The, the word guild, I believe, also came from Ultima Online, but it might have also came from another game called Legend of Kesmai, um, which was kind of a compete competitor to Ultima Online. Um, but guilds, at the time, people were people had planned to make guilds a year before this went into beta. Um, you know, it was between the pre-alpha and the beta that people were always starting to invent guilds in these complex web histories. So here's one story I have. Um, this one's funny. I've only ever told this to personal friends, but it's been... Um, it's, it's been 15 years since the experience, so I'll share this with our listeners. Uh, I think Brian I might have told you this, but I'm not sure. Um, okay. Um, back in those days, I was part of a, an IRC group, um, and I was involved in this uh, uh, guild called Clan Wode. And Clan Wode was this... It was, keep in mind, this was during the era of, like, um, of uh, Braveheart, and, and Scottishness was cool again. And... Um, they created this Scottish clan, and I and I was just I just wanted to be a I just wanted to be in a guild, so I joined, hung out with these people on IRC all day for months and months and months, and we hung out, we played some Ultima Online together in game in beta, and it was really really fun, and <laughs> it was about three or four or five years later, I ended up uh, I haven't told you the story, Brian. I'll tell you the nitty gritty details some other time, but I'll tell I'll tell our sure. listeners the most embarrassing parts. Um, I started dating a girl from this clan. I actually flew across the country into the United States and and moved in with her for a month. Um, wow! Yeah, this is like this is pretty high stakes gambling for nineteen year old Chris. And um, <laughs> and one day we were talking and we were talking about guild stuff and I and I said, oh, you know, I don't really hang out in the IRC channel anymore. She's like, oh, well, you know, it's the same old people there. And I said, yeah, you know, how are they? You know, how are they doing? And they said, oh, you know, um, uh, so-and-so became, um, so-and-so went to university, so-and-so is, you know, graduated high school now, um, so-and-so has become a filmmaker. And I said, oh, I didn't know he was into, uh, and I'm going to withhold the name here just because um, I, I don't want to expose this person unnecessarily. And they said, she said, um, she, I said, oh, I didn't know he was into filmmaking. And she said, well, why did you think... Uh, why did you think he came to the States for a while? And I said, well, I don't know. I just assumed he was, you know, this cool, cool um, Scottish or British guy who, you know, came to the States and, and, and went to university and stuff. She said, no, 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 he went to film school, and now he's going to be a professional filmmaker. And I thought, oh, well, that's kind of neat. And I didn't think anything of it. And then she looked at me, and she just gave me this funny look, and she said, do you know, you know who he is, right? And I said, well, no, he's, he's so-and-so, you know, our, our good friend so-and-so. She said, he's never told you who he really is in real life? And I said, no, we don't talk about real life stuff very much. And she said, he's Zoe Bowie. And I'm like, who the hell is Zoe Bowie? And she's like, 
it's David Bowie's son. Oh, <laughs> neat. Yeah. And I was like, what? No, that's really, no, he doesn't even have a son. She's like, no, he has a son from a previous marriage. And and I thought, you got to be kidding me. And she said, yeah, his first name and his second name are based on his mom's maiden name. And I said, are you kidding me? And I didn't believe it. This is one of those things I stored in the back of my head. So uh, I, I honestly didn't believe it. I and Then she showed me a little film clip that he had did. And I said, oh, that looks really cool, but I, I still didn't believe it. So fast forward 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. I am watching a film called Moon. Uh, have you seen Moon? No. Sci-fi movie? It's with uh, Sam no. Sam Rockwell, I think his name is. Okay, no. It's a really good, it. It's a really good little sci-fi indie film, and it's an excellent movie. Watching it, get to the end of the movie, sure enough, it's Zoe Bowie, directed by, in the credits, and it was really him. <laughs> wow, E. Why was that his name in the game or something? Or what, how, how did you equate them? How did you equate the that the, the the person in the film was the person in the game? Did he? What was his game? Was his I, game name I, Zoe Bowie? I won't, too, I won't. I won't share his game name with everyone. But um, sure. Um, yeah, his filmmaker name was very, very, very close to his game in game name. And, oh, okay. Um, and then I, the second I saw that, I looked up a picture online, and I and I knew it right away. His face. I was like, oh my god, that really is the guy that I played. I hung out in IRC with and played all online with. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah, that was really, it was a really funny experience. I, I haven't spoken with him, you know, in 15 years, but um, I thought it was really crazy that, you know, just it's a small world. Oh, cool. That's your brush with fame. Mm-hmm. That was it. Cool. That's great. And, oh, neato. Uh, so, um, so you have at least one other story I know about... Uh, about uh, Ultima Online that you have yet to share. Oh, yeah, okay. Y- are you talking about the Lord British story? Yes. Okay, so... <laughs> this was at the... Uh, this was, I think, at the end of beta. I, I want to say it was the end of beta address, possibly... Uh, you know what? Or it might have been at launch. The, the the dates are getting kind of foggy in my head, but I mentioned before that I hung out with this guy named Le Wizard, and he had a big group of friends that he hung out with on... IRC on Hash Ultima, and I got invited there. I spent a lot of my, well, I literally spent 10 years of my life there. Um, Mm -hmm. And they formed a group of what they thought were kind of uber-elite Ultima players because they they were really full of themselves. They were were nice guys, but they were full of themselves. And um, they were friends with a lot of Origin employees at the time, um, at least Mm -hmm. three or four that I knew of. And I'm still friends with one origin, ex-Origin employee today. And what happened was they became pretty tight with these groups. And, you know, they probably shouldn't have done this, but some of these employees gave special uh, power and stat boosts to their friends uh, who are wow. part of the IRC group. Yeah, so there was a lot of, there was a lot of um, rumor-mongering about this. I remember there was a couple of guilds that accused Origin of favoring this one guild called the Ravens of Fate. So these Ravens of Fate guys, I tried to get into the guild, and I remember I was just like the dorky little 14-year-old kid that nobody wanted in the guild, but they still, they still kind of tolerated my presence. And um, I guess I was 15 at the time. Um, they tolerated me. Well, what happened was Lord British or Richard Garriott decided to hold this little, I don't know what to call it, this, this kingly address to the entire game. So he said, come to Lord British's castle at 1 p.m. or something like that, and I will address my, uh, the, you commoners, and it was, I think it was the end of beta. I, I could be wrong. Um, and what happened was, 
Uh, Lord British is up on his parapet. He's being kind of teleported there along with Star Long, who is one of the designers. And I want to say it was one of the programmers like Mike McShaffrey, uh, Mr. Mike, somebody like that. There was three of them up there. I can't remember who the third person was. It could be Raph Koster for all I know. But I definitely know Starlong because Starlong was playing Lord Blackthorn, kind of the evil, the evil dude of the Ultimate Universe. And um, they were up there talking, and about a thousand players had packed in to his courtyard, like literally just packed in. There was no in Ultima Online, um, players cannot share a same physical space. So if you walk into bump into each other, you just stop. Um, mm. And like you were mentioning about, was it Guild Wars that did that for a while? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, um, that, and that was massively used to exploit bugs in Ultima Online, for sure. Um, but what yeah. happened was, there were so many people packed in, it was just like being in like a cattle stampede, you couldn't, you couldn't move. And there was so, many, so much data flowing at that point on a little crappy, you know, 28.8 modem or 33.6 modem, that you were basically, if you type something, you wait five minutes for your text to show up on screen, because mm-hmm. the servers couldn't handle that kind of capacity. So what happened was, there were so many people packed in there. Um, I, I was just a—I I was not part of the Ravens of Fate's little little um, attack on Lord British. Um, I was not in, at all involved in this. I was just there as a spectator, but I kind of knew it was going to happen. Um, I kind of suspected something was going to happen. So <laughs> um, there's a thousand people packed in this tiny confined space. Nobody can move. Nobody can talk, and you just see random text overlapping with each other all over the screen. And Lord British says, Hail all Britannians, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and he starts going on with his kingly address. The server crashes because it cannot handle this kind of ridiculous load. Now, here's what happened behind the scene. Every time the server crashed, it would have to be reset. And Lord British's invulnerability flag, along with Starlong's too, every, every major player's invulnerability flag had to be reset manually. And oh, yeah, and no, somebody, and because Richard Gary had barely had ever played the game, he had no idea how to turn on his own flag. Um, uh. So he was temporarily vulnerable. And people had been casting spells on him before, and nothing had been happening, but as soon as it crashed, I just remember Reigns, the guy who killed Lord British, it was definitely Reigns, um, standing about, I don't know, 10 people away from me. And you could see him go, Vaz Uslam, or something like that. You could just see this, this little voice croak, Vaz Uslam. And this line of fire, which is Firefield, appeared under Lord British. And I remember Lordish, Lord Britishing yelling out something like, um, foolish, you know, foolish commoner, your flames cannot harm me. And then he died. <laughs> he died. And, and I just remember the first thing I saw on the screen was this person this person yelling out in capital letters, he died. Oh, my God. (laughs) And (laughs) And now Lord British has been invulnerable in every Ultima game. That's right. And the irony of all of this, he's been invulnerable, but but through a special hack in each game, you've always been able to kill him. So I thought that's, like, very, very fitting for the... for Ultima Online. So, yeah, and then... Legacy continues. (laughs) And and then, then Reigns got banned. Uh, oh yeah. Now was he just banned, or was he shamed in some way? Well, what what happened was they they, they went they they um what's the word they uh he became the sacrificial lamb because you know mm-hmm. after that 
people started complaining about bug exploitation and people favoring you know certain players over others. So they just basically said, look, um, this is bad PR. Let's just ban the guy. And um, mm-hmm. so Reigns got banned. I actually don't really know who Reigns was. Um, he never certainly appeared in our IRC channel as Reigns. So I actually suspect it was just one of my friends who called his Ultima Online player Reigns. Pretty neat. Yeah, um, I, but I never, every time somebody would bring it up in the channel, it, they would just say, you know, don't talk about that or hush up or, you know, whatever. Uh, we don't talk about mm-hmm. that stuff publicly here. So I assume... That's I, great. Yeah, I assume it was one of my friends who did it, but I never I never got a straight answer from anybody about it. <laughs> oh, that's super cool. <laughs> yeah, so it was fun. That is like the story of stories in the Ultimate Universe. I guess, yeah. I never really thought about it that way, but it was, it was very... Uh, it was very shocking to see Lord British dying. And then I remember, yeah, Starlong being very, very quiet. After that, and I guess Raph Coster, I think he, did, he, he has this amazing uh, post-mortem on Ultima Online anybody should listen to. I seem to remember Raph Coster saying Lord British or, or Richard Garriott was extremely pissed off. Uh, yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> he said he had gotten killed by a player. Um, but yeah, um, you know, the great thing about it was Reigns did, did it through completely legitimate means. There was no hacking involved there. Uh, that, that's what I thought you were going to say that he did, actually, was that he had exploited some power that Origin had No, had, uh, I think, I think if, it, I, if anything, he might have just had some insider information that, you know, Lord British's invuln- invulnerability flag would be shut off after a server reset, so. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's hacking, too, I guess, social hacking. But pretty smart. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's terrific. What a great story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. So do you have anything else to share about Ultima Online? Um, I should get... Uh, this, God, there's so much stuff that happened. There was a lot of... Ultima Online was my first experience with, like, a lot of kind of guild drama. Um, there was, there was uh-huh. constant drama between guilds and a lot of shit talking. Um, I don't know if that... Did that ever happen in, in Guild Wars or WoW in your experience? Oh, I've got stories uh, that I will that I will discuss in WoW about that kind of stuff. Oh, great! I well, when I get there, probably next time. Okay, good because yeah, I'm. Um, my experience was yeah, that was the first time I saw kind of guild shit talking, and, and or it got to the point where guilds would take over each other's IRC channels. Um, Whoa! Oh yeah, this this the warfare cyber warfare went on, or they would try to knock out each other's web boards. There was a particularly large guild called the League of Pirates, and uh, the League of Pirates was kind of like the they, they were huge. They, they had like three or four hundred members when the Ravens of Fate, I think, had eight or ten. Um, oh. But they were like kind of traditional blood-sworn enemies, and there was all of this garbage talking between them. And uh, oh, uh, yeah, I wish I had, I wish I had a better memory for some of this stuff. But I do remember there was like publicly waged war between these guilds on websites. They would, you know, before the age of blogs, they would actually post garbage about you know each other and uh, accuse each other of being, you know. Uh, exploiters. Oh, there's one thing I can talk about, though, is macroing. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, ma- macroing has its roots in Ultima Online, too. Um, I don't know if anybody is aware of that. Um, and it was, it no. was, yeah, it was like a form of cheating in Ultima Online that became, like, integrated and standardized as part of MMOs now. Um, oh, it was cheating back then, yeah, because it's kind of a tool nowadays for those who yeah, don't know. Yeah, exactly. Um, in, in those days, macroing's value was um, for anybody who's not aware, a macro is just a series of commands or steps that can be executed in a specific order to produce some specific result. 
And yeah, it's like a batch file. Yeah, it's like a batch file, exactly. And it saves you from doing it over and over and over by hand. In Ultima Online, its real value was um, Ultima Online was a very click-heavy game. You'd just be clicking everywhere. If you wanted to mine some ore, you'd double-click on your pickaxe. Oh, sorry, you double-click on your character to open your backpack. You double-click on your backpack to open, you know, get inside. You double-click your pickaxe and then click on the mountainside and then you'd have to drag the ore over if you got any ore. And, and you know, it was really click-intensive game, um, probably like something like Farmville. Um, so what people did was they created this program called UO Assist, I think. I think it was called UO Assist or maybe UO Macro. Or Easy... Mm-hmm. Ah, you know what it was called? It was called Easy Macro. And what it was was it would trap... It would trap the clicks from your Ultima Online session and then you could tell it to click at certain coordinates in a repetitive pattern and then play it over and over and over again. So... Okay. Yeah. It's, so it was very, like, hacky. You know, this was something that somebody had come up with on the side. But it, what it allowed you to do was, for instance, strip mining. That's what we called strip mining, which was um, make character walk south one one tile, um, click at these coordinates on the neighboring tile, and then and then put, store the stuff in your backpack. So instead of taking three hours to mine a mountain, it might actually take twenty minutes because um, mm-hmm. it could do it very very fast. So um, yeah, that, in those days, that was considered massive cheating, and anybody suspected of macroing would be kicked out, and after three macroing uh, attempts, they would actually be banned from Ultima Online. Um, mm. And, uh, and pe- so, so people became... It was really interesting. People came up with these very... Um, the, the GMs would actually look for players that were repeating the same behaviors over and over and over without talking. So people would come mm. up with these insanely complex macros to make it look like the player was actually playing the game. Um, <laughs> if you can believe this, I had, um, I had one macro that had my player click on a pickpocket dummy to, to boost my pickpocketing skill and then mm. walk 10 paces away and then say a random phrase out loud and and then and then walk back to the dummy. I had a random, I had like twenty random phrases you could say, like "sure is a nice day today," or "oh, you know, oh wow, look at that cat outside." Oh, it's like you become an NPC from Ultima Seven, basically. Yeah, exa- exactly. And so I like That's N- awesome. NPC'd myself so I could never get caught by a GM. And uh, wow, <laughs> yeah, and I totally macroed a lot because it was the only way to save a lot of time. So some people would like. You know, one thing I did was, if I had a good fishing macro, um, my fa- my favorite fishing macro was actually, you could take an, you could take advantage of this thing in the game where on houses, on the windows of the house, the windows were not actually objects; they were just holes in the wall. So, what, uh. so what you would do was, if you wanted to keep yourself well protected in macro all day, is buy a house. Uh, house buying, again, uh, that's something we'll talk about another time. House buying, I think it's the first game where you could ever place a, a static, permanent structure on the land, and it would just stay there. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, for an MMO, that's really yeah, rare. Yeah, it's pretty unbelievable with most players now, I'm sure. Um, mm. Yeah, so you you buy a house once you get enough money for a deed, place it on the land, and by the way, this would this this turned Ultima Online in a period of two months into, like, suburban hell. Um, everywhere you uh, walked, there were houses. The whole whole right. wilderness was taken over by houses. Um, Ouch. Yeah, it was quite bad. But what I learned to do was I positioned a house right beside the ocean, and then I could go sit inside of the house 
and then uh. and then click my fishing rod and click on the window, which showed. <laughs> so my character would cast his, his fishing line out the window into the ocean, but I'd be perfectly protected. So I so I could I would. <laughs> the, the one like a professional couch potato. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'd sit down in the chair. I would uh, cast my rod, and then I ran a macro that did this. And I remember one day. I had class at 9 o'clock in the morning. I started my macro at 8. I got back at 6 o'clock that night, and I had a, had a 100% fishing skill by the time I came home. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Those oh, little, beautiful. Little cheats like that people really figured out, and I had a lot of fun with that. It was just great. Oh, you didn't get caught, though? No, I didn't get caught because, um, like I said, I had a, had a pretty finessed uh, uh, anti-GM system, so, they, so it almost looked like I was, uh, I was actually playing the game myself. Oh, that's super cool. <laughs> yeah. Love it. That's great. <laughs> All right. Is that uh the sum total of your of your Ultima online stories? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I could probably go on forever about it, but those are those are the kind of high points. I'm sure I'll start kicking myself tomorrow when I start remembering a thousand other things. All right. Well, why don't I continue on then? Um, there were a couple. There were a couple of uh, little things I wanted to say about Guild Wars uh, that I forgot, and then there's a couple of MMOs that I just played a little bit that I wanted to mention, and then I think we'll probably be starting to get close to the end of our of our time here. Plus, I realize that we forgot to talk about what we played this week, so maybe oh, we can shit, that right. in at the end. Sure. Yeah. So what I wanted to say about Guild Wars, the, probably one of the most important differentiators for it was the fact that it didn't have a monthly subscription fee. That's um, right. This was a game where you bought the box and you could play online as much as you wanted forever without any subscription fee. And in fact, to its credit, 10 years later, the game is still up and running for people that That's bought the amazing. game for 60 bucks, or if you got it on sale for 10 bucks, you sure as heck get your money's worth. Amazing. Um, and that had a real psychological effect on me because, you know, as a starving student, I didn't really feel like, you know, I did the whole math. I'm like, oh, if you pay $15 a month, then World of Warcraft costs you $180 a year. Yeah, what the hell? Yeah. Well, I'd rather play four games than play one game hey. for a year. Um, so it psychologically, it has a big effect because if you're going to spend 15 bucks for a month, you kind of feel like, oh, well, I better play for most of the month. I better plan to play for most of the month. Otherwise, I'm not getting my money's worth. Exactly. Whereas with Guild Wars, you bought the box, you can play it for 10 minutes, wait two months, and play for another 10 minutes if you want to at your leisure. You don't have to worry about whether you're subscribed, whether it's worth resubscribing, anything like that. Yeah, so very true. It was a really perfect go-to game. Um, and the fact that it had such a variety of different activities from like essential things like performing missions or finishing a game, and it was nice to have a game, an MMO, MMO style RPG game where you could actually finish it by defeating the final uh, the final boss in the final mission. Like, that was had, really rewarding. I had no idea that Guild Wars had an ending. Like, Ultima Online was completely open-ended. There was no ending at all possible. Yeah, which is something that's... It's something that you kind of have to accept. Yeah. That's, that's something that some people wild. are turned off by, whereas other people are turned off by a game that has an ending, because sure. there's this conception that an MMO is something that you get to the maximum level, and then the real game starts. Boy, sure. I hate that Yeah, yeah, conception. no, that's insane. That's uh, definitely the World of Warcraft <laughs> approach. <laughs> It is. Or at least that's what that's what, how a lot of people describe it. Me, I have so much fun leveling up new characters. Me too. That, uh, I don't really that's care about been my, That's anymore. always been my joy, too. Yeah, and I'm happy to know that there's lots of people out there like that. I thought it was weird for that. But anyway, um, it uh, there are enough... 
there are enough little um, optional things that you can do in Guild Wars. One thing that I appreciate very much in Guild Wars that not every MMO did was that there are lots of NPCs kind of standing around, and you can talk to them a few times, and they'll say different things, and maybe they'll even have a dialogue tree that gives you some story, but they never okay. give you a quest. And they're just kind of there as, like, extra extra lore, oh, extra canonical nice. depth. I appreciate that a lot, and usually that kind of stuff goes unnoticed. You'll click, so you won't even bother to click them. You'll just think that you'll need this person eventually. Otherwise, yeah. why would they be there? But oh, in fact, wild. they're just you know a, a random story somewhere. So I really like that. Um, there is the last thing I'll say about Guild Wars was something I I only remembered just now, and what a great thing this was. Um, in Guild Wars, you have gear, and your gear has stats on them, and in the end, um, it's not a, it's not the kind of a game where you have to do the hardest content to get the best gear. Right. Um, you'll get you can buy the best gear pretty early on, and it gives wow. you whatever finite number of points it's ever going to give you. Because of course, it's not a game that just gives you more points, which makes something easier. No, it's sure. the kind of game where everyone has the same amount of points, and only the most skillful players will be able to get to the end. Right. Um, so there is a bit of gating though, where they don't necessarily want people of a low level to be able to get the best gear, because there's no restriction on levels or anything for the gear that you can wear. Oh. It's just a matter of whether you have been able to reach a certain point in the story, and by the time you reach that point in the uh, story, you'll be of a pretty high level already. Um, so, the as you progress through the missions, it kind, you kind of take the circuitous path around like the north and then up to the west of the map and then down further south to that corner and then back okay. to the east. So you do this kind of big circle around the, the map more or less. Uh, what that means, though, is that if you are somehow able to cut through the middle, instead of going all the way around, instead of yep. uh, if you're somehow able to go from the middle, like the top middle to the bottom middle, then you can skip a huge chunk of the game, and that allows you to buy these gear tokens, uh -huh. which are what you need in order to buy the very best gear in the game from <laughs> vendors that are pretty much anywhere, but you have to have that token. Right. So there became this emergent economy of a service known as Runner's, and they, <laughs> that awesome. this was a, this was a really cool thing for someone to be able to brag about. I never did it because I didn't know how to do it. You had to know paths. You had to have certain builds. You had to have the skill, and sure. uh, it, it was very cool. But basically, the way this would work was you would get to this one specific point in the map, and there would be people yelling in uh, in uh, regular chat saying, "Selling running services, one thousand dollars to run you to the next to the gear token place." Right. So. Um, this this might have even been one of the very first places where you could have a party of eight people. So basically, one person who is designated as a runner would collect seven thousand uh, gold or whatever from uh, from you know a thousand each from the seven people that join up. Um, we would all exit the hub area. Then the runner. Um, having equipped certain skills that allow them to run fast, to escape from encounters, to absorb <laughs> a lot of damage, and to heal. They would follow this certain path. They would break away from the group. Every, all the other seven people would stand at the door, usually chatting and dancing right, or whatever, right. <laughs> while this other person runs off, like, screaming with his arms over his head into the forest towards all these humongous <laughs> monsters and running right past them. And we would all just kind of sit there twiddling our thumbs for, like, seven minutes or something until... Um, in this game, as soon if anyone in your party crosses a threshold that takes you to the next zone, then everybody in the party is teleported. Gotcha. Everybody sees the loading screen then and there. Mm -hmm. So we would just kind of sit around killing time until we saw the loading screen. And it was probably seven or eight zones or so that you had to get through in order to get to this harder area. 
So it probably took about 20 minutes or so all in of us, of most people just standing around dancing at the door. Hopefully there wouldn't be some stray monster, some super high level stray monster that would come and murder everybody while we were dancing. Otherwise you couldn't watch the dancing. You had to just watch yourself laying on the ground, like taking a dirt nap. (laughs) But uh, you would just wait for this person to get to the end. And so there was a a list of party members, like on the left-hand side of the screen. It was configurable, actually. You could drag the stuff wherever you wanted. But if you click one party member, then you could see what skills they were casting and what their health was and what their mana was. So we would typically click the runner and just see what skills are they casting and how is their health and what buffs do they have on them. And that kind of hints towards what the build happening. that they were using. That's right. But in the end, it was really just a way, an alternative way to make a whole bunch of profit for the people that were good enough to run from one area of the map to the other. That is absolutely so amazing. in the end, we would go and get that gear and... It really wasn't all that necessary. There was not very. It wasn't a huge bonus to your characters, but it's just kind of something that we always did because we wanted to have that better gear going into the next missions. It allowed you to progress and level a little bit more quickly and with a little bit more trouble free. But it was a, <laughs> it was a, a, a just one experience that you had to do that we felt we had to do every time we made a new character was to get that run from the professional runner and then wind up in some area that was way too high level for us to even go out the door by ourselves. We just go there, we would buy our gear tokens and then we would teleport back to uh, the area where we were questing before with our shiny new gear. I love that it's like basically operating like like a portable warp drive. It totally is. It absolutely is. It's like that person is like the hen solo of the game. <laughs> the smuggler. I love it. That's, you know, that was one of the things I really loved about MMOs was they always had these informal economies that would emerge out of nothing. Um, I had this mm-hmm. uh, Ultima Online. I don't know about other MMOs, but it was based on um, uh, on a fluctuating economy. So they actually had um, a, a market that was buying and selling, and prices would climb or deteriorate according to the uh, amount of stock that a shopkeeper had. Ah. Yeah, so... And that was like an ongoing cause of grief. Ultima Online was a completely ecologically derived theory. Uh, the, all of the game systems were ecologically derived, so they would have market running the economy. They would have, um, apparently at some point, but this, this got removed later, um, deer would spawn other deer. You know, they would breed. The wolves would predate on the deer. Um, trolls would predate on the wolves, etc. So... They had like this whole predatory ecology running. They had, um, you know, you if you go harvest from trees, you can harvest their um, uh, wood for arrows, and that would actually chop down the tree, and it might take another few weeks before a tree grew back in that spot. Um, mm. It was really unbelievable. It was a very modifiable map. And um, but the one thing I remember was I I, I had like cornered the market <laughs> on what were called fancy shirts. Uh, <laughs> I, I became a tailor at some point because I need, I was running out of cash. So I had a, ca- a tailor character as well as my warrior character. And my tailor character would spend all day manufacturing these fancy shirts. And then what I would do is I would go on this like little selling spree where I would teleport from, from island to island, from town to town, selling all of these fancy shirts as fast as I could before the market caught up. And... Uh, <laughs> Would you sell the shirts to um, NPC vendors, yeah. or did real players have to buy them? NPC vendors. Um, okay. The NPC vendors would buy them up, but as soon as you, um, it, the, the more you sold, the, the the more the value of the the fancy shirts would drop off. 
Um, oh, okay, supply and demand, like regionally. Exactly, yeah, it was regional supply and demand, and none of the shopkeepers were linked with each other, so if you sold shopkeeper A, it would never affect the prices of the shopkeeper B. Um, okay. Yeah, but the, of course the problem they ran into was that as soon as that happened, shopkeepers were always running out of money because players would just sell them all of their shit. So uh. what Origin started doing, and I, got, and I got kind of, I figured this out on my own, was that around midnight of every night, um, um, local time for Origin, they would reset all of the shopkeepers and reset all of their, um, all of their shops so that any shit that you had sold them the day before would be wiped clean and their cash would be replenished. So, mm. Oh, so you sell it at like 11.59, half of it? Exactly. I'd sell it at 11.59 and then 12.01. And uh, mm-hmm. it was just fantastic. I, uh, I, I, I abused the shit out of that for, for a few months while I built up my warrior. and I used, So I used my tailor as a little cash farming device, and then I'd switch over to my warrior and spend all my money on him and all of his armor. That's great. the The road to blood is paved with puffy shirts. <laughs> exactly, and they were like, yeah, they were definitely like puffy pirate shirts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Seinfeld style. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that's too cool. All right, man. Um, I've got to set approximately two hours and forty minutes. I have a few games I want to talk about yet. So I'm wondering whether would you like to just talk about what we played this week, sure. and then we can reserve the rest for the next week. Yeah, that sounds good. I'll. I'll I'm sure by next week I'm gonna start to realize how much I've forgotten and uh, I'll have plenty to go with next week. Yeah, me too, I think. We probably won't even get to our next games with all the stuff we forgot about, our favorite old ones that we talked about already. Yeah. Uh, so what, did, you, what did you play this week? Um, you know what? I have, I've been working outside all week, so I haven't had the chance to play much. Um, our, my girlfriend and I's playthrough of Silent Hill kind of got put on pause for a little while. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I unfortunately haven't had the chance to to play around with much, I think I think um, my girlfriend started playing uh, Monkey Island One actually. Um, was oh, okay, good. Yeah, she was she was kind of uh, exploring this gum bar, and uh, but I I actually just passed out. I was so tired from um, physical exertion outside that I passed out by eleven o'clock, and I my last vision was of Guybrush walking up to the three pirates at the table, and I just kind of slunked out. Um, so, what about you? <laughs> Oh, I love those three pirates, the boisterous laughs and everything. That's a great, uh, that's a great place to start your adventure. Um, yeah. I played a few things this week. Um, we, My wife and I played Jones in the Fast Lane, which I'm sure we've talked oh, about awesome. uh, already in the podcast. But we do it where when you have two... Uh, if you have multiple computers in your house and they all have their own Steam accounts, you can kind of associate the accounts with yeah, each other to uh, do like in-home streaming. Right. Yeah, so you can do like screen sharing, which is primarily oh, intended for if you have like a, a media PC connected to a television, and then you can play right. the games that are on your uh, you can play the games that are on your uh, your main gaming computer, and it'll be rendered oh. by your main gaming computer, but then stream the video is streamed over to the other computer, so you can like play it remotely in your home. Sure. But uh, my wife and I, we have our computers side by side on a table. Um, and it's it's good enough to play Jones in the Fast Lane just at one computer with you know taking turns, but then you have to actually like reach your hand over to the mouse, <laughs> the other person's <laughs> mouse, and we're not reaching our hand over two feet. That's too much trouble. So what we did was the screen sharing thing, where we both oh, have. Oh, that's crazy! We have my computer rendering Jones in the Fast Lane, but it appears on both of our screens. Both of our our mice control the same cursor, and we oh. just take turns moving it. We even get sound out of both, but I mute my speaker <laughs> so that she can have the music on hers. So that was a whole lot of fun. It's a, awesome. it's a handy way to play it. 
And it's really impressive how fast the latency is. It's like going... We have wired Ethernet uh, computers, so I think it must... It's like imperceptible lag. Yeah. But like, she'll like tap her mouse and the cursor will immediately move. That's crazy. It's very, it's very like, impressive it's technology. It's like two-player, two-hot seat multi. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that was a whole lot of fun. Um, we played something else. Oh, the, um, so the the company that makes you don't know Jack. They yeah. used to be known as Jellyvision, but have changed their name to Jackbox. Okay. And they recently just released this uh, this compilation of games called the Jackbox. Um, I don't own this game. Neither of us own this game, but we've been playing it together all week long. Um, one game that we've been playing is called Drawful. Okay. And the way that we play is that people are sharing their screens on Twitch. And these are games that are really intended to be like local multiplayer sure. where um, where uh, instead of having with the old You Don't Know Jack games, instead of trying to squeeze three people around a keyboard, this game actually allows you to use your smartphone as a oh, controller, which is a terrific nice. idea. And so the idea is that there's like a television in a room and everybody plays on their smartphone. And oh, it's sort of a dictionary at. meets uh, scruples sort of a thing where um, initially everybody has to draw something. Uh, sorry, it, like uh, on your on your smartphone, it says you will draw, you know, uh, you will draw dignity. That's one of the things that I kept saying is my is uh, one of my things. So it'll say it'll just give you a thing. It says draw this. It'll say draw the ending to lost. Sure. For example, everyone will get their own thing that they have to draw, and it waits about two minutes for everyone to draw their thing and press the submit button on their phone. Um, then one by one, it will show the drawing on the television to everybody and uh, on your phone and and. Uh, on your phone, it will say, okay, what do you think this is? What do you think other people will guess that this is? And you write in your silly little thing, and you okay. press submit, and then it shows a list of all the things that everybody had written, and you have to guess which one is correct. <laughs> and if you if you just guess the really the one that is actually correct, you get points, and if somebody guesses your uh, erroneous right. one, then you get points for that as well. Oh, man, that sounds awesome. It is so, so, so much fun. So in the beginning of the game, when you're signing up for it, at the bottom corner of the screen... Um, it says, on your smartphone, you go to a website, jackbox.tv, and then enter this four-letter code, and that's the code that's specific to the game that you're playing, sure. and that's how you kind of synchronize your smartphone. Ah. So people are streaming that on Twitch, which, uh, thank goodness, the game is pretty uh, It's pretty easygoing in terms of the amount of time it gives you per turn, okay. because between the person streaming something on Twitch and the person on the, the viewer receiving it, there's about 30 seconds of lag. Oh, wow. So... Even though the game comes with a you don't know Jack version of the game, it's uh, you have to answer within like ten seconds or something. So oh, by I the time, uh, yeah, it'd be yeah, way you, too you don't even see the question by the time it's it's uh, counted you out. But this game gives you lots and lots of time to do each little step, which is perfect. So we've been playing with all these random people. Some of them are super immature, which is hilarious. Some of them are super uh, intelligent and very good at the game, which is also hilarious because you choose the wrong thing and you love how creative and clever the person was at, right. uh, at uh, falsifying the answer. No matter which way you go, it's hilarious and very charming and lots of fun. So oh. that one was called Drawful. That sounds great. So and the was, Jackbox. And the Jackbox pack, what, you said it came with five games? Yeah. Um, one of them is a You Don't Know Jack updated one with new questions and stuff. Okay. Uh, Drawful is one. There's another one called Fibbage, where it's like a fill-in-the-blank thing. It's just like Drawful, except you have to fill-in-the-blank in a sentence, and it's like a, okay. it's a, a fact about something. You know, Abraham Lincoln had 14 blank. And so, of Ooh. course, you have, like, yeah, boobs, dicks. <laughs> 
stuff like that. <laughs> and every now and then, something horrible and uh, and brash will be the correct one. And everybody that's else is taking funny. the high road. And there's this one real toilet humor thing, and that happens to be the right one. And that's that's even funnier. That's great. <laughs> and there's a few others, and I can't remember what they're called. Some of them lend themselves well to playing over Twitch with lots of latency, and some of them don't. Okay. What I really like is that I, you know, we had so, so, so much fun and laughed so much playing this together that I... Uh, tweeted to a bunch of the a, a bunch of the Jackbox people how much I love their game, and I said I I hope that you'll uh, consider someday making games that are intended for playing over a streaming service like Twitch with lots of latency. Yeah, and no now that kidding. I think of it in retrospect, they used to have a website called Berserk dot com okay. where you could play an episodic version of You Don't Know Jack and you didn't play it with other people it was just locally but it would give you like eight questions for free every week with these kind of interstitial ads. Right. And, uh, and that didn't they, last for too long. I'm surprised that they like, that? managed to keep You Don't Know Jack going for so long. That was one of the things that I mentioned to them on Twitter, is that they're one of my favorite developers, and now that I think about it, I've been playing their games for a lifetime. Yeah, that's like, wild. I've been playing it since uh, my early teens. So good for them. They've stuck to they've stuck to their formula all this time. They're starting to iterate a little bit. They actually have a Kickstarter... I'll put it in the show notes. I don't remember what it was called, but it, it, it's them, so I, I backed it immediately. Oh, that's awesome. That's... So we've been playing that. Um, and finally, just because I just finished preloading the friggin' 60 gigabyte Grand Theft Auto V. Good God. Game, that's a big game. 60 gigs, unpacks to 65. Um, I've uh, installed uh, Grand Theft Auto 4 and have been playing a little bit of one of the expansions, uh, The Lost and the Damned, oh. which is all about uh, bikers. Did you did you play Grand Theft Auto 4 or any either of the expansions? Uh, no, you know what? I think I think my experience ended with oh, GTA. Wait, who was CJ in GTA 4? That was San Andreas. No, that was San Andreas. My experience popped at San Andreas. That was before yeah. GTA. 4. I, I missed out on okay. GTA Four I, and Five. Oh, okay. I, I haven't played Five yet because it's only coming out to PC, and that's the only gaming system there is, if you ask me. But uh, <laughs> I've played them all. I uh, GTA One and Two I liked a lot, but they were super hard. I didn't get anywhere. GTA Three was amazing, and I finished that eventually. Vice City I didn't like that much, but I finished it reluctantly. Even though that's most people's favorites, I don't like it that much. I thought it was too video gamey and arcadey. Yeah, it's a very, a very, yeah, very arcadey, very sim- simple uh, GTA. That's for sure. Yeah, like power ups and mass murder and stuff like that, or whatever. <laughs> uh, then San Andreas came, and I, I totally, totally love that game. It's like drop dead beautiful with an amazing, like approximation of like this uh, fictional yeah, state with countryside huge, between huge these very map. different cities. And good. Uh, I don't know if the protagonist was any good. He was fine. He was just kind of like a sponge. He yeah, just, I was just going to tell him to do something. And he does it. That's right. But. Uh, it was very charming. There are lots of great personalities and lots of uh, uncredited cameos. James Woods has an amazing cameo really? in that game. He is like some FBI guy who puts you on a, a series of really crazy, uh, uh, crazy uh, assignments in the desert. Oh, uh, and his character is hilarious. Um, <clears throat> I played the hell out of San Andreas, but Grand Theft Auto Four. It's less video, it's less arcadey and less cartoony okay. than any of them. It looks a lot more realistic and a lot more gritty, and uh, like uh, the tone is a little more gritty as well. Sure. The protagonist, I 
I quite like because there is this disparity of the protagonist trying to be like this thoughtful, almost a pacifist person who is like uh, remorseful about sure. his violent past, but then all he does in the game is kill a zillion <laughs> people for money. Oh, that's all is, he is ever this, does. Uh, is he like a Russian immigrant? Is that or immigrant? Yeah, his name is Nico. I think he's Serbian. I, yeah, that's right. I remember. Um, Ben and Francisco talking about that on the Blue Cup Tools podcast, yeah, and they 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 also brought up the same point. It's like, yes, I'm so so sad. I lost, I left behind a life of crime. I'm so happy to be in America. Let's go kill people. Exactly, very much so. <laughs> so he he, there is this huge disparity between the narrative and the actual gameplay, sure. but I like them both for what they are. Um, and I think it's a very beautiful game. The first thing you mentioned about uh, the beauty of walking around in Ultima Online or in MMOs in general, yeah. just having this world to look around, that's the first thing I do in Grand Theft Auto games now is oh. I go for a walk. I refuse to press the run button. I don't get into a car. <laughs> I just go for a walk. I see some sights. I watch the AI interacting with itself and just kind of drink it in for probably like 15 minutes or so. I take it totally slow. And those are games I oh. play very, very slowly until I've replayed them and then I go bananas. But the first time through, I try to take it for what it is. Oh, that's great! I um, you you just reminded me of an MMO story. I got I got to tell this one because it's thirty sure. seconds long. Please. Uh, in UO Beta, I remember there was something called the horse exploit, and it was a great one. It, horses were very expensive in the game; they were five hundred gold, and to get five hundred gold would take you ah a day. Let's say a day for an average character. Oh. A day's worth of work, you know, ten hours, and. There was this great exploit. I, I was just walking around in the countryside, and I got myself a horse, and I was really, really excited. And I went back into town, and this was the worst thing ever. You could, in Ultima Online, you were allowed to feed other people's horses, which seemed like a benevolent gesture. Um, yeah. Except that you could also combine poison with food to create poisonous food. So, oh wow! <laughs> yeah, you just reminded me of my, my my lovely stroll out in the wilderness, finding a horse. I see, I found an abandoned horse, um, and I jumped on it. I was so excited, Dro- ran into town, and I just remember there was a guy standing there, and he said, "Hey, horse, you want an apple?" And <laughs> and he he poisoned my frigging free horse that I got out in the wilderness. And I just remember my, oh, no. I was riding this horse around, which was getting dying of poison damage as I was riding it. Finally, it just collapsed under me. And uh, the, funniest, the funniest thing was the game didn't really know what to do with your character once you died on your horse. So your, your character mm. would just be, like, sitting up there, like, sitting, sitting, in, the mid, sitting in midair uh, on, the, on this, like, invisible horse's back while your dead horse is lying on the ground until you moved. Oh, <laughs> that's very Bugs Bunny. So, yeah. Oh, that's very sad. <laughs> yeah, so that, that just reminded me of one of my... That was one of my earliest trolls out in Ultima Online was getting getting my horse poisoned by a random poisoner. <laughs> oh, well, I think that's a wonderful note for us to leave off on. <laughs> yeah, not that's bad. Great. Is there anything else you want to add before we adjourn? No, but I hope I get to play some games this week. Um, I was hoping to watch my girlfriend do either a playthrough or maybe we'll watch, watch it... Uh, um, um, the Last of Us. I uh, I was thinking about that game recently, mm-hmm. and I just realized, you know, I don't even need to see it being played. I can actually just just watch watch the cinematics, and the cinematics alone are just so gripping and awesome that they. Yeah, I was thinking about it recently, and I think I'd love to see that again soon. I think I need to look this up because both I think it was you and Francisco were really gushing about the mature tone of this game. Oh yeah, I, I honestly don't think there's any reason to play it. Um, <laughs> I hate to say that, but. Mm. But the, the, I think it's a four-hour 
uh, a four-hour cut-together cinematic of the entire game exists somewhere on YouTube or something like that, and um, it is absolutely worth watching. Um, playing the game is com- kind of superfluous um, because I think some of the gameplay is actually, to, to be honest, kind of sucky. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's if you want to get the whole story, man, what a powerful story it tells in, in a very, very confined amount of time. Oh, neat. Does it have a decent ending? Oh, I don't know if Francisco seen the ending yet, so I won't ruin it, but that ending is absolutely heartbreaking. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. I, I've never seen that in the game before. I'll say that much. It is not the ending anyone expects when you get there. Oh, cool. So it's pretty... Well, if I, if I find four hours to, to kill, <laughs> I'll have a look. Yeah, I was going to say, it's a great, great day to burn on a sick day or something like that. Uh, the last time we watched it was about a year ago. Um, and we watched it in, over a series of two nights. We treated it as two two-hour movies, like a miniseries, and it was just awesome. Hmm. Well, if I ever need a sick day, I'll just wait for someone to offer to feed my horse, and then I'll just eat it myself. <laughs> and you go, ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, all of my mind had the worst death sound ever. <laughs> I used to do that when I went to clubs, too, so it's, I'm no stranger. <laughs> all right. Folks, uh, thank you so, so much for tuning in. We're always uh, thrilled to have uh, anybody at all listen uh, to our podcast, but we sure love to hear from you, and we love to hear about you talking about us, because that's our favorite topic, right? <laughs> thank you very, very much for listening. Yeah. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can catch us on the web, squarefm.demodulated.com, by email, squarefm at demodulated.com, or on Twitter at squarewavesfm. Yes, and if you have any stories about MMOs, we'd love to hear it. I'm sure many of you have played MMOs, some of you haven't. Um, I, I'd just love to hear anything anything random that you've came across. I'm sure we've got all dozens and dozens of stories to tell. Yeah, absolutely. And if you have anything else to talk about, about uh, things that we've uh, discussed in the past, things you'd like to hear us talk about, or just anything having to do with retro computing and retro gaming, uh, by all means, uh, do share it with us, either by email or by voicemail or whatever you like. All right. All right. With that, I suppose uh, we shall adjourn for the week. Uh, It's amazing how fast three hours goes by. It's a pleasure to talk to you, Chris. (laughs) Yeah crazy. Thank you so, so much for tuning in everybody, and we will check you next week. Alright, talk to you soon. Miss you all. Alright, bye-bye. Bye.